This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. Happy Valentine's Day. You made it. Let's put on some love music now and start a walk down Valentine's Day Lane. Who better to start with than Jeff? What are you getting for the missus? Well, I, uh, my kids and my wife are going to wake up to a scavenger hunt. Oh, is that good? Yeah. Oh, because it's don't... not like you have to look for your breakfast or anything. There's yeah. a treat at the other end. Well, it feels like every morning when I lose my keys and I can't find my backpack and all that stuff, I'm I always start with the scavenger hunt. Not always positive for me. <laughs> I don't know why. How fun! So you put this together last night? Yes, and I woke up to a new digital scale from my wife, <gasps> which is her Subtle nice way. nice way of yeah. saying. You know, instead of trying to get this old one to work early in the morning by banging it down on the floor and waking me up so I can't go back to sleep, yeah. here's a new one. Oh, that's romantic. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, Isn't though, it'd be great? like, you need to drop a few pounds. But no, yeah. I just want you to make less noise Just in the make less noise. My... Is that like buying your wife a vacuum? Yeah. No. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. Uh, my my wife's the best present she's ever given me for Valentine's Day was nose trim uh, clippers. <laughs> yeah, that's another subtle hint. Yeah, it's kind of weird. She's then she's like, it does your ears too. <laughs> like <laughs> while while you're using really? those, <laughs> while you're at it, how about getting all that ear hair you got? Can you get so, that mole checked out too, please? <laughs> something doesn't look right with that mole. What do you? What did you get your queen? Nothing, there, Terry. Nothing. No, Terry. She she doesn't she doesn't believe in participating in uh, retail America's attempt to make their first quarter budgets. I know, so that's why you just write her a really cute letter. Yeah, so I help the kids make a, some cards or something. You're a monster. It's great. Okay. <laughs> like I said, my anniversary was like a week and a half ago. We're fine. Yeah, my anniversary's tomorrow. So we don't do much today. Tomorrow's when the party yeah. starts. But, but wait a minute. Mm-hmm. If you're bundling Valentine's Day in no, with your anniversary. No, we're ignoring Valentine's Day. <gasps> so what if you were to have a kid whose birthday was like December 30th but or we, January 1st? Too bad. We didn't, though, so we don't have to worry about it. Poor kid doesn't get anything. Just a kick in the face. He would have a very depressing birthday because we'd go, <laughs> dude, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want from me? Um yeah, so I don't. I, we don't do much except we'll say Happy Valentine's Day. And my wife's not yeah. big into flowers, so that's kind of. See, and I did that for the anniversary. Flowers. Have it delivered to the office. Oh yeah, Everyone that's romantic. Sees there, I'm a great guy. It's great. I have an. It's I a have a, a meeting tonight, and my wife has a meeting tonight. No, so. tell her what. It, tell everyone what it is. The meeting. Oh, it's just a church interview a for me. It's a hearing. I. Not mm. for you at the church, but you're going to a hearing. It's that a public, court the public disturbance. Hearing. It would be more likely that I was getting my hearing checked than going okay. to a hearing. So denial. Let me write that down. Still, still in denial. Yeah. About so that. we're going out this weekend. Are you really? Mm-hmm. Love. Isn't I don't know why right? that's so surprising. So were we. <laughs> I'm going to California. Oh. What? I'm going to yeah. watch movies. Disneyland. Uh, I was going to go to Disneyland. But the only way, the only day I could go would be President's Day, and I don't Ooh. feel like going to Disneyland on President's Day. Well, let me look it up on. Is that, is the, it, day? Is is that it, the holiday? Yeah, it's Monday. I'll look it up on isitpacked.com and tell you whether yes. or not 
Is it packed? Is half of California there? com. That is a great. That's a great website. Is it packed? It's like does it fit? Or there's one I always go to. Is it's like like is it down dot com? like is this website down? Like you can't get the oh. Netflix. You're like, oh, oh yeah, and then yeah. You see if other people are reporting. There's some sort of service interruption. Yeah, yeah. Will it and blend? Us- That's another one I me. like. Will it blend is fun because if you can blend it, you know you can drink it. Yep, it's packed. Not even yep. But yeah, uh, wow! Like, Yup, like yeah. fire code hazard packed at Disneyland. Yeah, so there's, so I'm not going to there's, that. There's there's Ghost Town. Hey, it's all right. Yup, it's packed. And I think there's one more that's uh, forget about it. So if if uh, if anybody out there in you know Anaheim, L.A. area has any suggestions for what we should do instead of going to Disneyland, that doesn't involve a fire mm. on the mountainside, mm. a lot of traffic. Mm-hmm. Preferably even a beach. I don't want it what? to involve a beach. Go to the beach. Why not? Uh, beaches, I don't love them. Why? They're sand. Mm. Usually they're hot. Now now they'd probably be cool. And lots of sun. And there's sand. And there's people. There's You're sand. a California sand. Grinch. Yes. Anywho, uh, happy Valentine's Day to you all. And boy, did Sean White win a great uh, little Valentine's Day present, some gold in the half pipe. Happier than ever. He he did it. He, he got that Sochi monkey off his back. And then some awkward press conferences to follow. Yeah. <laughs> that, and then he got, the, the, he got that great shot of him biting his gold medal, which I think is crazy for the amount of money we spend on our teeth today. Do you, do you think he was trying to see if there was chocolate in there? Uh-huh. Yeah, where's the chocolate? There, were, there wasn't any chocolate the first two <laughs> times, but maybe this time. What a ripoff. Let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to? The director of national intelligence testified Tuesday that there is no single agency leading the United States effort to respond to and combat Russian election meddling. The revelation came as Intel Chief Dan Coats also told the Senate Intelligence Committee that Russia is poised to target the U.S. midterm elections later this year. He warned that Russia will continue to use propaganda, social media, false flag personas, sympathetic spokespeople, and other means of influence. Hmm. CIA Director Mike Pompeo later said, We have seen Russian activity and intentions to interfere in this midterm election. So these are Director of National Intelligence and the Director of the CIA, and they're both saying this is going to happen. This isn't, yeah. CNN reports three sources familiar with the president's thinking says he remains unconvinced that Russia interfered in the election. While this issue is separate from the question of whether Trump's campaign officials colluded with Russian officials, Trump sees the issues as interwoven, so none of it happened. None of it happened. But but the crazy thing about it, too, is now there's even investigations into Sid Blumenthal and then that guy that's the GPS fusion mm-hmm. Which So that was kind of more of a little Democratic side of the scandal. So it, apparently the Russians touched everybody. Well, uh, So let's deal with the fact that everybody was in. Many of the reports started, they, they went to see which side would work with them. And they found that their stuff they were putting out worked more with the people that were wanting to vote for Trump. So they went that direction. Yeah. They were just trying to mess with the whole thing. They right. didn't they favor don't anybody. Right. They were just trying to cause chaos. But we can't let it happen again. And they're saying no one is working on this, which is great since, you know, November. Yeah. Uh, FBI Director Christopher Wray has muddled muddled the White House's official story about the departure of former White House Staff Secretary Rob Porter. 
Porter resigned last Wednesday after two of his ex-wives claimed to have suffered years of physical and mental abuse at his hands. The White House initially defended Porter against the allegations and claimed not to have known about them until last week. But Ray called that assertion into question Tuesday during a Senate Intelligence Committee hearing. The FBI director said his intelligence agency submitted a partial report on the investigation in March of 2017. Oh, boy. And that the background check on Porter was completed by July of last year. He continued, soon thereafter, we received requests for a follow-up inquiry and provided that information in November. Reyes said that this month the FBI received some additional info and that was passed on as well, but the investigation officially concluded in January. Ray's statement seemed to contradict the White House's story about the FBI background check, where they said yeah. it was ongoing They're saying, or held yeah. up in other agencies. Office, their office, their security office was still coming up with a recommendation, yeah. but they, anyway, yeah. So all these uh, Trump-appointed intelligence officials are contradicting all these different yeah. stories that are going on. And, By the way, the, the FBI guy is he's being pretty strong. Yeah. Is it Ray? Yeah. He's... Wow. That's... He, well, he was questioning the Senate like, level. Oh, no, they had all the information. The Senate level hearing, they're like, will you, which, what are you going to do? Are you going to enforce the laws or are you going to, you know, do what the president, you know, are you going to be compromised by the president? And he goes, I have to do what the law says. That's what the FBI does. That's what my job is. And so he's doing wow. that. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Uh, Maggie Haberman, White House reporter for the New York Times. Yeah. She says on this issue of uh, Rob Porter and when he was fired and what the what general kelly's saying versus what the white house says versus what the fbi says she says every several white house officials are now prefacing or concluding their sentences and conversations with reporters by making clear that they can't swear by the information they have just given really so they ask can we have clarification they give the clarification but then like i can't like 100 percent say this is the truth because there's okay. four different versions floating around. So that's not really clarification. No. So she's saying it's yeah. difficult to figure out what the story is because the story in the White House is this is the different. this is the handling issue. Yeah, and they're this, not handling this it. This goes very to well. bigger issues of we have a, a real emergency. This is a minor thing, yeah. really. But if there is a major emergency, how does the White House deal with that? Yeah, who are you going to who are you going to trust? And we got. This one story, there's four different stories, really interesting. Well, and then apparently Mr. Porter was on the verge of being promoted, promoted yeah. to maybe even deputy chief of staff. Even though apparently they knew about all this in July when the initial background checks were well, complete? Well, the, the security offices of the White House did. The White House didn't. The security the, offices. General Kelly's story that he found out 40 minutes later he was fired. So that's his story. Mm. And that story's been kind of shot down there's also now there's a meeting between sarah huckabee four members of the media and rob porter so he could tell members of the media there his side of the story yeah that just came out the other day and they asked her yesterday and she didn't confirm or deny that the meeting happened (laughs) the reporters are talking about it but everyone's yeah uh, other news, Remington, one of the oldest and most well-known gun companies in the world, plans to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. What? The plan would allow Remington Outdoor Company to stay in business while restructuring its debt. The plan allows for Remington to reduce its debt by $700 million and contributes $145 million of new capital into its subsidiaries, according to the company. Remington said in a statement that its operations will not be disrupted by the restructuring process. The gun industry has experienced slumping sales since the election of President Donald Trump. 
Gun sale, That's gun, weird. Gun sales surged to record levels in 2016 when Barack Obama was president, and there were fears that dem, uh, the oh, Democratic yeah. candidate Hillary Clinton would implement gun controls. When Trump won the election and the endorsement of the National uh, Rifle Association, those fears were alleviated, and of course, sales dropped because there's no rush Isn't to buy that, a gun. That, that's so weird. So you almost you need a Democrat to be president in order to get gun sales up, and the NRA no. would thrive. <laughs> <laughs> you have to stoke the fear of them taking away guns. Isn't that they never interesting? Said they were do wow. That. Yeah. Okay. So, do you play Uno? I did when I was really young. Yeah, really? I haven't played it lately. We play it because we have a six-year-old, and he can oh, grasp yeah. the concept, and it's kind of fun. We, my wife and I went on a cruise about three years, four years after we got married, and we brought that with us. And we were kind of bored one night, so we're just sitting up in a in a common area, just playing Uno. Everyone kind of staring at us. We're just like, "What? What's playing the, cards? You guys playing a kids game? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a fun game to play." And I, I, I beat my wife quite a bit during that, oh, that wow. cruise. Wow. Yeah, it was great. But they're coming up with a new game. What? Based on Uno. Duo. No. Trio? Uno. Dos. Dos. Oh. It's called Dos. Mattel launching the new card game Dos next month in hopes of giving its nearly 50-year-old Uno brand a second life. Dos has similar rules as Uno, except players make two piles of cards and can throw down two cards at a time instead of one. The sequel. Mm. It comes as Mattel tries to so turn exciting. its business around. Their, their Barbie and Hot Wheels really aren't pulling the... the they fell 11% in sales last year. Did Matt. they really? Well, the, there's the Barbie movie coming out. Maybe that'll help. Toys, to, Toys R Us, they're going out of business all over the country. They're shutting... Like, There's a Baby RS near my house. They're closing. Babies are us oh, is no. closing. They're the only ones with pregnant parking. It's okay. The one by you is going to stay open. Okay. Yeah, but not all pregnant women can park there. They've got to park at other stores too. I know, but it was the one store where you could not be handicapped and still get a good parking spot if was, you were pregnant. Is that for you or your wife? It's not the right question. So Uno's chasing trends as Mattel is trying to get this card game out there. They're coming up with a smartphone app. I thought they already had one. I thought I played that several times. They're also <laughs> uh, coming out with a Facebook. They all, all, You can also play Uno on Facebook Messenger. Oh, great. With other friends. You can just play a game of Uno there also. That's they don't need to so, yeah. go through all this trouble. When I was a scout, we just played a variation of Uno called Speed Spoon Uno. Um, have you guys Whoa. seen this? Yes. It's creepy. Wait, wait why, are, why are you changing the subject? I was about to tell you about a very uh, fun activity for scouts where if you lose the game by having the most points at the end of the round, you've got to extend your arm out oh, and then on they, the table. You get whipped. They whack you with a spoon right in your elbow pit. Yeah. Sounds violent to me. Yeah, but it was great. Speaking of elbow pits... What are those robots? You're uh, Boston looking at? Dynamics. They have dog robots that look like dogs without heads, but Ooh. they can open doors. Okay, and it is the most terrifying thing you will ever watch. My Roomba can open doors. No, I was in the bathroom, and all of a sudden, I hear this door opening behind me. It just bump, 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 and it bumps its way into the bathroom, and then once it's in the bathroom. It closes the door with the two of us in there. Okay. That was creepy. No, 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 no. No, let's get real. You left the door open. No, unlocked. Like a crack. Yeah. And it bumped right. its way in, but then it shut the door. It did, but these robots, one dog robot calls another dog robot over with a special arm. 
that then unlocks or opens the door. That is turns creepy. the handle and yeah. watch this kicks his little dog leg to hold the door <laughs> while what? he gets the entire door open. What? It is the creepiest. But and then who's gonna? Who is this for? This is for dog lovers for the future. Our robot overlords, when they take over, these are their pets that so will are these, attack. Are these people that like dogs but don't like the cleanup so they can just get a robot yeah. dog? Yeah. All you got to do with that is just take them to get lubed and oiled twice I'm a year. If you have a robot that can do that, I I think there's a point when that robot's going to start wondering, why am I taking orders from this guy? <laughs> it When the dog turns in, the, luckily, luckily these robots don't have heads. So, but they opened a door. I know, but they don't have a head, so you don't have like eyes staring at you. You just have a headless dog body. It's still creepy. It looks like a mechanical spider crawling mm-hmm. toward you. Terrifying. Terrifying. Um, one of the things, too, that we are going to be covering in the next few minutes is uh, an author of a book that believes that maybe the world would be better off without college. Really? Yeah. Wow. And maybe it's obviously maybe not for everyone is, is his point, but um, maybe we're giving it way too much credibility. Mm. Maybe – I mean there's always these statistics about kids are better off if they've gone to college. They're going to make more money. Which isn't always the case. I, no, I know. I worry about that because it used to be you, you, know, you were only as good as your ability to add value. So is the – is – a master's degree, the new bachelor's degree, do you think? I do, actually. Really? Oh. I mean, I think to actually stand out, you'd need a master's degree. Or you'd have to be really good at something. But the problem is, how do you get good at something if you are always in school and never out practicing getting good at something? Exactly. And then there's this, this fear. Like, I have a son that is really good at a lot of stuff and never been to college and now – and actually makes pretty good money doing what he does well. But he's in this conundrum. Is he Should he go to school and go learn from people that have never done any half of what he does? Or should he just go work with professionals that make a really awesome living doing what he does and loves? What do you think about those companies that you can get a good job working for them – but then there reaches a point when you've got to have that master's or you've got to have passed a certain exam in order to oh yeah further your career there. To even be yeah, looked at. Yeah. So-and-so, they do the same thing you do, but they have a master's degree. Yeah. I have a doctorate. That's the only reason I have a radio show is because I've gotten so much education. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's a weird thing, isn't it? And so it used to be we'd have an apprenticeship. You'd go apprentice with somebody and then you'd get the – you'd master these skills and then that would be good enough. But does that even matter anymore? Isn't work experience more than something you learned in a book? You'd think so. But apparently not. So our next guest is going to be talking about how the world might be better off without college for everyone. And uh, it might actually – you know, make things move faster, get people more specialized in their careers, uh, get them more quickly adapting to the new work world. Anyway, we'll be talking about it straight ahead right here on the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends. You know, you hear it all the time on our show We when we talk about college and universities. You know, college isn't for everyone. And we, we hear these arguments on, on the show. Um, we make them a lot just because we, we have examples in our lives of a lot of uh, educated people that then go out into the workforce and many of them can't get the kind of job they want. But uh, we wanted to talk to somebody that had a real opinion about it and has some research on it as well. Um, one of them is uh, – his name is Brian Kaplan. He's a professor of economics at George Mason University and is the author of the book The Case Against Education, Why the Education System is a Waste of Money and Time. Brian, thank you so much for being with us today. Delighted to be here. Now, this – you are – boy, you are – you're going to be controversial, Brian. All I mean, right. talk talk about how you. What's your case? Why is it that education isn't necessarily worth the money or the time that we may be putting into it? Right. Well, so the main thing I say is that it's not really worth it from society's point of view. That it's a ripoff for taxpayers. And the main reason is that most of what kids learn in school, they never use after the final exam. Most kids don't find it very interesting at the time. So really, it does seem like a waste being neither useful nor nor actually inspiring or enjoyable. And yet, we it's it's what we push. It's what we talk about. Um, is it what is it about us then? If we if we keep pushing it, and yet it's such it's really a, a financial drag. It's an economic drag. Yeah. So I mean, in, in the book, I talk about something called social desirability bias. You know, people like to say and believe things that sound nice, and just saying that school is the most important thing in the universe sounds great. But, you know, like everyone's actually been in school and you remember that you spent a lot of time that was a waste of time, that's, you know, stuff that you had to learn, the teacher said this is required. At the time, you're wondering why. When are we going to use this? If you're an adult now, you know you probably aren't using most of the stuff that you were doubting the value of. And, you know, like if you look at the faces of students, they're not having that much fun in most of their classes. So, again, like, like you know, there's the contrast between what you know firsthand that school has an enormous amount of waste built into it mm-hmm. and what we're supposed to believe, which is that school is wonderful and, and just the most important thing of all. Now, again, as a college professor, where do you think uh, – where does the break happen? I mean, and how would we make it better? Is it, a, is it, a, is it um, elementary school that's, that really is, is the problem? Is it middle schools, high schools? Is it our college systems? Or is it, is it kind of a universal problem? Yeah, I mean, I think it really is a universal problem. You know, so even in kindergarten, of course, the kids are doing a lot of stuff that they're never going to need to know again. You know, they're learning to read and write, and that's really important. And then a lot of it is just playing for them, and that's fine. Uh, but then, you know, like kids, you know, like, you know, like even at that age, people are making kids learn stuff that they're never going to use again. So, like, you know, endless mandatory music and art, which, again, for kids who like it is great, but a lot of kids don't like it. And why they couldn't just be having some extra recess time is pretty <laughs> unclear. Uh, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, you know, like as long as the kids are, you know, like, like need monitoring or need daycare, then at least you got the daycare function being provided, and that's useful. But, you know, like once the kids are in high school and they would be capable of, you know, being apprentices or learning a job, that's the point where I think you really have to say, what's going on here? If the kid is not getting much out of it, why is it that we don't find something better for him to be doing with his days? Don't we, don't we have data, though, that shows economically by having a college degree, you're more likely to, to make more money to get um, more, uh, I guess, more progress financially? Oh, yeah, yeah, so absolutely. So it's really the heart of the book is there's this puzzle. Why is it that so much of the time you spend in school seems like a waste of time, and yet employers seem to value that education so much? 
And you know, my story is that you know, even when you are not learning any useful skills, you're still jumping through hoops and your good grades and high performance impress employers. And actually, this is the main way that we impress employers in our society is by saying, ooh, look at me. I've gone and got my fancy degree. I've got good grades. I know none of it's relevant to what I'm actually going to be doing, but still, this is a reason <laughs> to not throw my application away and to give me an interview and consider hiring me. Yeah, so I said, you know, I mean, obviously, people do learn some useful skills in school, and I say that repeatedly. But what about all the other stuff that you have to do that isn't going to be used on the job, and why do employers care about it? And I say that school basically serves the certification function. You get a bunch of stickers on your forehead, which for the individual doesn't really matter why the education pays, but for taxpayers, it matters tremendously. Because, you know, if you know, taxpayers go and encourage everyone to go to college, then you need a college degree to be employable, mm. right? And we can see this over the last 70 years or so. There's been a tremendous rise in the amount of education that employers expect you to have for one and the same job. You know, this is called credential inflation. Credential inflation basically just means that when you know the more degrees that people have, the more employers expect to consider you worthy of training. Mm. So true, and um, I guess it's yeah, it's some hoop that you've jumped through. And if one person has jumped through the hoop, but the other person hasn't. We still might – I guess we would maybe hire the one that, that has the degree that jumped yeah, exactly. through the hoops. You can't have a whole economy based upon hoop jumping. Right. Well, especially <laughs> yeah, if the does, hoops don't apply to the job. The, yeah, it doesn't mean it's a good idea for the individual to drop out, but it does mean that it's a bad idea for taxpayers to encourage extra hoop jumping. Yeah. That's so interesting. And then now we're hearing um, – because if education really isn't necessarily worth it financially to the taxpayer – then, but now we're talking about certain states wanting to pay all the way through college for more and more education. Yeah, sure. Or like New Mexico trying to mandate college. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> it's oh, it really, man, Brian. You are. What do your fellow colleagues all think? Because you're like you're beating up the institution. Yeah, I mean, so me and my colleagues have all have always been very good to me. I have I have no complaints. I mean, really. Well, you know, like there's almost no professor in the country that said anything unkind to me. You know, I mean, there's some people who think that I'm crazy, but uh, you know, like, like it's all it's all been very civil. I mean, I mean, I say you know, this is this is the good side of higher education, which is that most of the time it's a collegial and uh, a collegial conversation. You know, you know, the stuff that you see shared on Facebook. You know, none of that none of that bad stuff has ever happened to me. I've got no complaints. Mm. Um, you know, but. Um, I mean, you know, of course, obviously, it is, it is something where if people were going to take me more seriously, then maybe people would get angry at me. But, you know, they realize, well, you know, who's going to listen to Brian? <laughs> no one's listening to Brian. What would you do? So if we had a magic wand, Brian, and you could go in and fix the system so that it actually did, you know, create more value for taxpayers and really was more aligned to, to deliver the skills people needed. Yeah, I mean, so there's you know there's two big things that I do. I mean, one is just cut spending to encourage people to get get fewer years of education, right? Which again freaks people out because they're always picturing one person not having the money for education rather than a whole lot of people not having the money. Yeah, and there's two very two very different effects. One, if it's just one person, then they're out of luck. But it's a whole lot of people. This changes what the degrees mean. Employers become a lot more flexible about who's who's worthy of employment. So in the same way that we've had credential inflation for many decades, we could have credential deflation, where once again you could get a good job straight out of high school. So you know, so just cutting spending is a big thing that I push. Uh, the other one is vocational education, especially for kids at much younger ages. So saying that you know, there's countries like Germany and Switzerland where when you're 13 or 14 or 15, and if you've never liked school, you find it super boring. They go and say, all right, well, how about we go and train you to do a job? What do you think about that? 
right? And I think you know that would be you know, a big improvement, especially for kids who just resent school and are unhappy in school. Um, right? And again, for taxpayers, you know, that's a much better deal to train someone how to do an actual job than it is to just help them get extra stickers on their forehead. It's true. And especially when you think of maybe this, the way our school system is set up, doesn't work for certain types of learners. So the yeah, certain learners are always suffering. Yeah, I mean, and of course, there's certain types of people who just don't like learning stuff that they know they're never going to use. Right. I mean, like, you know, like, like for me, this, the whole school system has been pretty good overall. You know, because, you know, like, I mean, I this, I like ideas. I like culture. This kind of stuff is fun for me. But, I mean, I've never been so blind to think that my feelings were normal. You know, like, you know, there's never been a classroom that I've been in where I haven't looked around and said, man, there's a lot of kids who don't want to be here who are suffering. And if they're suffering through learning how to read and write and do math, then tough luck because you have to know that stuff when you're an adult. But if you're suffering through a foreign language, like, how many kids are ever going to use a foreign language? How many are even going to learn it to a level where it would conceivably be of any use to them? Oh, no, that's true. I mean, a lot of people at Brigham Young University have gone out and served LDS missions, oh, and oh, many. Oh, yeah, you, you guys are a very different story. You actually learn you, you actually actually learn language as well, yeah. so that you can go and do the conversion. So that's a totally different story. But thing about it is, if you're not planning on ever oh. going to a mission, that's yeah. the point. No, but but by the way, we come back and we all have incredible language skills, but very few of us would actually go work using our languages. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I forgot about that. So I was actually in a Mormon Cub Scout troop when I was a kid because my best friend was Mormon. So I've known Mormons my whole life. How great. Uh, yeah, you're you're nicest people I've ever known. <laughs> well, give us a minute. Um, <laughs> this is actually, Brian, I think uh, it's I think some of us would be afraid because we're like, oh, boy, we need the institution to like you're saying to get everybody their stickers. But I think of like a I think of a teenage kid I know that already is coding. He's already you know moving way ahead in coding, and then he's still going to have to take his general eds in college, yeah, and then do all of these things to jump through the hoop to actually be coding with a degree. Yeah, that's right. So back in the seventies and eighties, there were a lot of self taught programmers, and there was a big enough pool of them that they were still employable. But in the modern economy, people that are good at computers almost always go to college, and then again, this is, means that the opportunities for uncredentialed coders have been greatly reduced. I mean, I've talked to some friends in Silicon Valley, and they say, well, I mean, like, you don't have to have a college degree. There's people, we also hire people who win coding contests. And I say, yeah, what's the ratio of people you hire because they have fancy degrees to people that don't have degrees that you hire because they win contests? Like, yeah, well, we have like a thousand people with fancy degrees and five contest winners. Mm. So yeah, you know, basically, you have to, it's the old story. You have to be twice as good to do half as well if you're good if you're going to do a non-traditional route. You know, and what I say is a lot of what we're signaling with our education is just sheer conformity, just saying, look, these are the rules. I follow the rules. I, if, if everyone says you have to get a four-year degree, I don't ask why four, why not three. I just go and do that four-year degree. Mm. Right? And anyway, what's striking is that a lot of the payoff for education just comes from graduation year, which if people were learning useful skills in school would make very little sense. It's like, what, do you withhold the useful skills until senior year until, in order to teach them? But if the main thing you're you're doing is, not, is showing you're a conformist, then it makes sense because, you know, like you know, like you know, someone who fin- who does three years of college and drops out is really defying the system and saying I don't care about the expectations of my parents, my teachers, my peers, and the way that you show that you are playing by the rules is by doing the normal thing. Four years in society, fine. Four years. Other countries where you have three year college, then the third year is important in those countries. Yeah. 
And, and it is. I guess it's arbitrary. It's some. It's, it could be two years. It could yeah, be it's one year. It's like, why do we wear suits instead of kimonos to interviews? Well, <laughs> you can either sit around asking that, or you can just do whatever is normal in your society and then get a job. It's, that's true. That's oh boy. And I guess too another uh, issue as the economist, you're saying. Um, I, I guess I, I assume we have to go to college to get the better degrees so that we make the more money and then the money would make our financial systems more secure. But as an economist, you're saying not the case? Yeah, I'm saying that if we have people at fewer years of school, the main thing would happen is you could just get a good job with fewer years of school. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, you know, really, really, the effect is not a secure financial system. The, the main effect is, first of all, we waste a ton of taxpayer money. So again, total government spending on education is about a trillion dollars a year. Mm. And then we also just waste years of people's lives. You know, if you ever go and read autobiographies of people from decades ago and to see people that were already you know, very gainfully employed when they're 15 or 16 years old, they're you know, running companies when they're 20, you know, I mean, this kind of thing today sounds bizarre. But you know, like there's like there's no fundamental human reason why we why it can't be that way again, except that we've set up a system where if you drop out of school too soon, then everyone looks at you like you're a loser. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost like the business concept of scope creep, where you start a project, hmm. but the more you're in the project, the bigger the project gets, and then it turns into twenty projects that we call one project, and it grows and grows. It's almost like we have education creep. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the real whole story of the last hundred years is more and more people going. And at, every, at any one point in time, you said, well, look, if we send one more kid to school, he has a better career, so let's, let, let's do that. But again, always forgetting that if too many people go to school, then the degree ceases to be very valuable, and then those people need yet another degree. There's an Internet meme that says, if everyone has a BA, no one does. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's a good one-sentence one summary of my book. It's so true. And now it's like, well, now if you really want to stand out, you need a master's degree. Yeah, a master's or PhD, a professional degree. Right. Yeah. So, you know, like it, it is a crazy system that we have boxed ourselves into, and yet it's so hard to get people to reconsider because there's just so much affection for education. And again, I understand that. I mean, like you know, when I when I see teachers today, they're super nice. I mean, like when I was a kid, there were some really mean teachers, but right. you know, they, they they seem pretty much gone now. Yeah. Like even, even the gym coaches seem like human beings now. Uh, you know, not, not calling you a maggot like right. you know, what, what I remember. Take a lap, but, maggot. Right, you know, but again, that doesn't mean that it's a good use of taxpayer money just because they're really nice people. It really – it's a – I mean I guess that's – the point is you're not saying education is not important. You're just saying we only need as much as we need. We don't yeah, need yeah, – Yeah, I mean like so the subtitle of the case against education is why the education system is a time and money. It doesn't mean every single bit of it is a waste of time and money, but it just means like the whole system system is you know like like is like burning up tons of you know of resources and time that could be better spent in other ways you know, you know so you know like like you know like if you were to go and try you know and and do you know 10 loops around you know, around Salt Lake City before you get to your destination you say wow this trip has been a giant waste right. like, well we still got to our destination at the end yeah yeah i guess but there was a there's a much cheaper way of doing it so why couldn't we just do it the cheap way do you think there's any possibility that will happen, or is or is there also some market uh, function or structure that's eventually going to start pushing back on this? Only a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of people who are optimistic about online education. I am not. 
again, the main thing is when I, when I look at online education, it's almost all what you could call edutainment. Mm-hmm. Where you know, competes with blogs or or with just you know reading for reading for pleasure, it's not like someone does online education and then they say, well now now I don't now employers will give me a good job without college. That's very rare. And just the whole attitude of people studying online, and you know they're they're doing it for entertainment, not to get credentials. And again, you know, like, and again, like if I'm right about the conformity signaling part of school. Then if someone were to say, hey, look, I'm going to go and signal up my conformity in a totally new and, a re- and weird way. I'm going to go and do it all online. You know, that doesn't signal conformity. It signals nonconformity. It's true. And I guess um, is there uh, – what can I do? I, I have a son, for example, that really has become self-trained and in a field in videography and um, and music and all of these different fields. And it can make a great living and, and will make a great living. Um, what what can I be teaching my kids to maybe make this more efficient and maybe push back the little way I can? I mean, does your son have skills where he could actually get a job or yeah. does he still need to go to college? No, to, no. You know, In like, fact, even going to college, he's already doing more than the professors teaching him what to do. So then possibly he could just quit and go and get a job. I, my suspicion is that he'll still get a better job if if he finishes. And since he's already there, probably isn't, isn't too much more effort for a kid like that to finish. Yeah. Um, again, you know, the main thing that I push for is, you know, like, you know, we have to change taxpayers' minds about, about what is a valuable use of their tax dollars. I mean, you know, like if I could get education spending to fall by 1%, I'd consider that a tremendous accomplishment. Because you know, me and people are so stubborn about this. So, I mean, if we could just get even a little bit of financial sanity around discussions of education spending and get away from the hyperbole of this is the most important thing in the world, every kid has to have the absolute best possible education. If we could just go and be a little bit more realistic, a little bit more calm about it and say, well, you know, like, we, it doesn't really make sense to try to give everyone the best because if everyone had it, then then we just need to get even more in order to be employable. It's such it's such a great point, and we see it all the time. Everybody has to have an education, and then uh, you don't stand out unless you have more education. So where does this end with all of us having two PhDs? Brian Kaplan, thank you so much. The name of the book, um, again, is The Case Against Education, Why the Education System is a Waste of Time and Money, Money and Time. Um, Boy, again, education's good. Having so much education when you're really not needing that much education, maybe just elevating the cost of the system for everybody and making it harder and harder for people that really have uh, great abilities and skills to do what they can do. Interesting stuff. We'll do a little Coach's Corner straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Are you boy, you too stupid to do what your coach tells you? Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Hey, you know where you might want to be focusing your education or some of your education would be on some relationship skills. It is Valentine's Day, for heaven's sakes. And yet, most of us, you know, we're more worried about getting our general ed done than actually learning how to resolve a conflict. If we were going to keep people in a university for four years, and think about that, why four? Why do we need four years of an education uh, in, in at a university? Why not three? Why not two? And why not push more of our general ed really down into high school? Why are those decisions the way they are? 
Um, and isn't it interesting, too, that some of the most important skills we actually need maybe aren't coming from um, the universities? For example, how many of our children really have a really deep insight into finance and credit and basic personal finance when they leave high school? Should that not be required so that they don't immediately get to college and get a credit card and get into debt? Shouldn't it be required that they take classes in conflict resolution, in social skills, in human development skills? How about emotional intelligence so that they're not constantly reacting and and having kind of reactive problems with people? Wouldn't that be valuable education? I mean, I have people that come and see me and they pay for education, but they're usually paying for it by the, when their marriage is disintegrating or they're paying for uh, other skills to manage their emotion and manage their focus and manage their anxiousness and they're paying for it for their children. But are you, our high schools aren't covering these ideas. They aren't covering these skills, these tools. They don't, there's, not a, there's not a curriculum for this. So – I, I'm with him. I'm with uh, Brian on a lot of this. That I mean, education, we've got to be careful. Education, critical and essential. We should spend our entire life learning and growing and gaining more and more skills and ability. I totally believe that. And I, I also believe we may not be doing it the way we want to do it and or the way that's healthiest to do it. We may not be doing it um, with the with the best interest of our students. I, I see people at this university that are dying because of a class that is uh, that shouldn't be destroying their life, and it's a general ed class so that they can just get their generals done. They're not even in their specialty yet. Should we require that the specialties uh, be uh, fields that can actually earn money? If if the government's going to have to pay to subsidize universities all over the country, shouldn't we make sure that when a student is leaving the, the university and they've spent all this money and governments have subsidized all these uh, these uh, degrees, shouldn't it um, shouldn't there actually be a, an outcome of financial benefit? And I'm not saying all education should just be about finances, but if the government if we're paying for it anyway. It's a change. It's something we probably ought to look at. But what is it that you need to be growing? What is it that you need to be learning? And maybe instead of hoping that your schools will provide it, um, but you, we might want to push back on them a little bit more so they might even at least look at it. What, what we might want to be doing too as parents is seeing if we can't try to teach our kids some of those other skills that they need, the relationship skills, the finance skills. Uh, I'd have better conversations about intimacy and sex with your kids. I'd have better conversations about technology use and uh, your technology devices. I'd make sure they understand how to protect themselves from what's online. I'd help them be sure that they're putting out a really good online presence and very clear about what employers in the future are going to be looking for. You know, just basic, basic stuff, not necessarily stuff we're teaching in school. And yet our kids still have 16 years of school by the time they graduate from college, at least minimum, right? Anyway, we will uh, continue giving you the tools that uh, help. 
doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Up next, some, uh, some ideas about Valentine's Day. Yes, folks, Mowage. Valentine's, it's what brings us together today. Uh, <laughs> we love Valentine's Day. You can, I can't get Terry to shut up about it. He is so enthralled uh, writing cards. I think he's got all of his Valentine's Day, all of his cards ready for all of us. Mm, no. And then you're going to hand them out. We, that's what we should have done was make little Valentine's Day boxes. Hey, you got a card. I got like a a glitter bomb in my face. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Is that why you're all glittery? It was a little too much. That's kind of embarrassing. So uh, who better to help us understand more what we can do for Valentine's Day than Mr. Valentine's Day himself, our own little Cupid, Terry South. Wow. Dressed like one today as well. Put that on. I wore the wings. Those are nice. the wings. The diaper's a little too much. (laughs) I wasn't going to go there, but. I did. again. I had some of this previously. Yeah. It's a list of little things you can do. Yeah. Maybe you forgot that today's Valentine's Day. Who? What? Maybe it just slipped your mind. Okay. This is a, a chance to do something small that might be significant in the day of your significant Oh, effort, I love that. Right? That's great advice. So one is send a text that says, okay. like, thinking of you. I'm going to do it right now. I just did. <laughs> Is that what you were doing? Just did that right this very second. I'm going to get. She's going to go. Well, what are you doing? What do you? What are you trying? What? Like, what did you what, break? What? Who what died? Did, who died? What's going on? <laughs> like something bad just happened. Um, this says uh, do an exercise that's like go exercise with her. Something that's her thing. Now I'm using the that's idea of her because yeah. bunch of guys in the room. Yeah. But if you're your yeah. significant other, whoever is special. That's great. If idea. they like to run, they like to rock climb, they like to go do whatever. Go with them and do their thing. Maybe you don't do that thing with them. Yeah, and share and, that time with them. And Make clean, it special. Hey, and clean up your machine when you're done with it. Do that. <laughs> yeah, wipe it off. Uh, tell her a good joke. Emphasis yeah, on the good. Which, yeah, Matt. Mm-hmm. A good joke. No, yeah, like yeah, I've got a lot of them. Be careful. Got to, Notice he didn't single me out. Yeah, meaning all of my jokes are good. Uh, How about? Make a list of things which you're proud of her. Make a list oh, of yeah, things that yeah. you, make you proud of her. I love you because this, or I'm proud of you because don't, this. It says don't be vague. Yeah, be very specific. Because you're nice. <laughs> you have pretty hair. You make the sun come up in my day. That's very Do specific. you do it in that voice? Yeah. Okay. Vacuum under the couch. <gasps> oh, that is romantic. Mm. That's really romantic. Okay. I already did this one. Make oh, she's gonna hear. Is she? No. Make a homemade card from the kids. Yeah, but that's because she knows where that came from. Right? Yeah, from but, the kids. but that's kind of your kids. That's not necessarily yours. My daughter's like one. Hey, she's the, not allowed to play with scissors, Matt. Come on, it's okay. the adult that does all the instigating. Yeah, these kids aren't gonna come up with that on their own, <laughs> right? Sure. Turn your phone off and spend the night together, <gasps> and just talk and listen and communicate. Give us one more. That one sound, more. That sounds rough right there. Just one more little bit of joy. Uh, let's see. Organize and clean up your space. Clean up your mess instead of letting her do it. Yeah, or or le- instead of letting him do it. Or, yeah, either way. 
Yeah. Whisper something sweet to her. Chocolate ice cream. Chocolate ice cream. <laughs> okay. That's great. We, we will be continuing with this advice throughout uh, the next two hours. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you love on Valentine's Day. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeff and Terry. Happy Valentine's Day to you. You did it. You made it to the big celebration. Uh, this is the day when we we get out of our heads and actually go serve the people around us, the ones we love, the ones that make life worth living. Isn't it all just about kisses and chocolates? No. But that's what they think it's about. Uh, although the name is St. Valentine's Day, most people refer to it as Valentine's Day or even the Feast of St. Valentine's. It was originally a day to celebrate St. Valentinus, who performed weddings for soldiers uh, who were not allowed to marry. What? I know. Apparently soldiers were not allowed to marry, uh, you know, probably because they were at war. So he would get out there, I guess bring the bride out to the battleground. Interesting. Make it happen. So we are celebrating... This, uh, this wonderful day, um, we've been giving away really good ideas that are free for you to go bring the love home. One of the best things you could do, a really inexpensive gift, is just listen to each other. Yeah. What was that? Yeah. You, one thing <sighs> I did, so what? I mentioned uh, yesterday that I did 12 days of making the bed yeah. For my wife. I watched the video of that. And I did it in 12 different ways, mm-hmm. most of which she didn't appreciate. But the one that she did find funny was I took every pillow because uh, pillows are a very big deal in a lot of people's homes, right? Oh, right. On the bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to, oh, you got to put those pillows back. Well, why? We're just going to throw them off again when it's time to go to sleep. Right. Yeah, but it's for decoration. Yeah. Jim Gaffigan would argue, how many tours are you giving of our bedroom? <laughs> But I took every pillow that we own in our house and I put it on our bed and it filled the entire bed. She but, thought that was funny. No, that 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 was funny. It got a little out of hand when you started like moving furniture up onto the bed, <laughs> when you moved the chair and the nightstand table and it looked like a little living room setting. Just wanted her to make herself at home. When you actually removed the bed and put the made the bed but Leaned it up against the wall. That was kind of. Well, she said she likes to sleep on her side. And then, yeah. and then when you actually took the entire bed frame down and just put the mattress on the ground. No, it was it was like a little toddler mattress. Oh, is that what that was? So, <laughs> yeah, it was really it was a lot of work and it was very cute. And it actually ended up making her a little angry. <laughs> So, but I ended with the two kissing swan towels and a couple of mints. Almost so, like you all were on, as well. Almost like you were on a cruise. That's right. Except I didn't get a tip. Well, hmm. let me give you a tip. Uh, <laughs> maybe don't do twelve days of Valentine's Day. Maybe just do six. Uh, 
Well, ever, and ever since I started doing the show, I make the bed zero days a week. I know. Yeah. You don't want to make it when they're in it. That really makes them mad. Yeah. My wife has tried that. So happy Valentine's Day. Uh, it's it's actually – it's it's not just a pagan holiday anymore. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> – it's also it's also a day to that they try to sell as much stuff as they can. Flowers, true. chocolates. The greeting card industry is booming right now. There's still nothing better than those cinnamon red heart, tiny little red hearts. Those are so good. Really? Yeah, I love those. No, it's got to be like a peanut butter chocolate heart. Well, you you can do both. No. Okay. There's only one that you can do. When you're on the diets that I'm on, you can't do both. And Valentine's Day has got to be a little um, uh, hard in the White House lately. Why do you say that? Well, there's been some stories that have come out of the White House that have made it a little more difficult. No. It's it's okay. The lawyer took care of that. Yeah. So uh, let's get to the headlines with Terry. Terry, what else should we be paying attention to this wonderful pagan holiday? Dan Coates, the Director of National Intelligence, warned Tuesday that the national debt is unsustainable and possesses a dire threat to our economic and national security. It poses a, a dire threat. Hold on. Who's Dan Coates again? He's the Director of National Intelligence. Wow. So our national debt, a dire threat to economic and national security. Coates warned uh, his warning comes as a juxtaposition to President Trump's recent signing into law, a bipartisan budget deal lifting spending caps by $300 billion in addition to a tax, cutting, uh, tax cut costing an estimated $1.5 trillion. Republicans have argued that economic growth will make up for a lost federal fund as a Funds as a result of the change in the tax code, which are mostly geared towards corporations and the wealthy. The national debt currently stands at $20.6 trillion and counting. His testimony before the Senate Intelligence Committee, Coates also described the fractious nature of the political disclosure or political discourse in the United States. So wow. He's talking about kind of the whole economy, the, uh, the national, it affects national security because it puts us out there to the point where it starts messing with our deals with other countries and they can come back and say, hey, we want you to do this. We'll vote this way on this deal and we, we're compromised at some point because wow. of debt. But by the way, it makes sense, right? I mean, financially, it does devastate you personally. Why wouldn't it devastate our country? Being in such debt. But normally, this is something you'd hear Democrats say to Republicans when they're in the office, or Republicans saying it to Democrats when they're in office. Yeah. And President Trump, as he ran for office, talked about how much debt we have and how bad it is to have debt. Where he goes, We're actually a very poor country when you start measuring our wealth versus debt. Yeah. And they just added all this debt with More the plans debt. they ran with. Yeah. Uh, former Staff Secretary Rob Porter was reportedly in active talks about a promotion possibly to Deputy Chief of Staff when his ex-wives went public with allegations that he physically and had verbally abused them, CNN reports. The White House Chief of Staff John Kelly has claimed he demanded that and got Porter's resignation within 40 minutes of fully understanding the severity of the allegations last week, although FBI Director Christopher Wray said Tuesday that he first briefed the White House on Porter in March of 2017. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Almost a year ago, and, the, and several more times in subsequent months. So this comes, uh... this comes amid news that... Uh, reportedly, Trump is looking for a replacement for chief of staff, and he's uh, talking to Reince Priebus about how he, John, how John Reince. Kelly isn't necessarily 
doing things like he wants it to. There's yeah. stress in the White House because Kelly is this barrier to get to President Trump, and people don't like that. So right. there's kind of fighting from within, and it kind of just turns into Game of Thrones. It really – it seemed that uh, when Kelly took his new position, things went a lot better for the White House. Yep. A lot fewer leaks. So it, Now it there's almost, a lot more leaks. Well, it would be terrifying to find out if he left – yeah. What would happen again? Somebody it needs depends. to keep people away from the president. Yeah, mm. it depends. Uh, other news, you know the, the phrase you start to hear all the time on, on TV in the fall, something like, I'm Angus and I approve this message. I'm blah, 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 yeah. and I approve this I'm, message. Yeah, It's all political ads, right? Or this ad was paid for by Canines for a Better America, or whatever the company is, whatever yeah. the group is, whatever the super pack is. I haven't heard that is. one, but well, sure. Well, not Canines. Isn't that an example? Yeah, yeah, but that's a good one. The Federal Election Commission clarified an opinion in December that such a disclaimer needs to be visible on ads and on websites like Facebook. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. It has to be visible, not just audible. It you can't. need to see who's paying for this. Okay. Only it doesn't seem like anyone's actually obeying it. A ProPublica investigation found that of 300 political ads that have run on Facebook, fewer than 40 actually met the FEC's disclaimer and uh, disclaimer, or disclaimer laws. Ads lacking the proper FEC language include one paid for by the Democratic National Committee and by President Trump's 2020 campaign. Fines for knowing and willful violations of the law can be over $1,000 apiece. Wow. So most of what... Facebook's trying to deal with how they deal with politics. Yeah. And it seems like they're not, it's either not being policed or the people that make the commercials and ads you see on Facebook for a politician are not being put together correctly. But everyone just seems to be ignoring the rules, it looks like. Ah. You should have a disclaimer. Yeah, Who, you should. Who's this paid for by? But then again, you don't you kind of know it's paid for by somebody? Well, you would think, but apparently fake news has been I guess. really sl- sneaking in on people. This story, uh, I found this to be odd. What? An elk leaped into a uh, research yeah. helicopter that was trying to capture it and brought it down in a, a collision that also killed the elk, authorities said on Tuesday. Mm. The elk jumped into the, the uh, helicopter's tail rotor as the aircraft oh. flew about 10 feet above the ground in the mountainous part of eastern Utah with its crew trying to drop a net on the elk said the uh, Washach County Sheriff Office Yeah, that happened right here. The two people on board weren't seriously hurt, but the elk died of its injuries on Monday. The uh, state contracted the Texas-based crew was to uh, try to capture and sedate the elk and give it a tracking collar to research its movements in the area. This is all happening 90 miles east of Salt Lake City. Do you think that elk woke up that morning and th- you know, knowing that it would somehow die in a fight with a tail rotor of a helicopter. Of a helicopter. <laughs> like, what on earth is an elk thinking? It, it, that had to have been the weirdest moment ever. Right. Like, what are they doing? He's got a net. He probably <laughs> just trying to get the net off, and the helicopter dipped low because I think someone was going to jump out and try to yeah. secure the net, and both forces collided in the oh. tail rotor and the mm. elk. And, yeah. Poor elk. But the elk jumped up and took out a helicopter. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, sad news, Neil Diamond is retiring from touring. What? He was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Oh. Oh, that's right. And he's now going to stop touring, mm. which is – that's sad. How old is he? Um, I don't know. Let me look. Um, 50 years, by the way, he's been – 
touring. Wow. It's hard. I, I'm looking. I'm watching a video. Not. Uh, it's not written. So I don't know how old he is. But Neil Diamond is. Um, so I was going to go to Paul Simon. Paul Simon is also retiring. He's going on his final tour. Mm. And I was trying to get tickets to his final tour. How did that endeavor go? Well, um, I'm still in the pursuit. Ooh. Neil Diamond is 77 years old. Ah, oh, sweet Caroline. <laughs> Honestly, he is – I like him and I love his music. It makes my toe tap and it also um, – I mean I guess there is a point. 77, it's – that's that's a hard I, tour. I've heard people say that uh, with Neil Diamond that his concerts are not what they, know, used, to be. What they used to be. You can, yeah, you don't want to go out, you know – shaky yeah. at some point you got to stop yeah let people have their memories but to me it's, it's so that... lucrative though because people will go and watch they'll love those and it's concerts. not even the old people like neil diamond that, that can't finish this tour lady gaga can't finish her tour either she she's ended her tour as well because she for good uh yeah she well for now because she can't she doesn't she's got chronic pain Oof. so she's done i mean it's like can anyone finish a tour anymore and what's her name? Um, uh, Madonna. Who, no. Who, Queen Latifah. No. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Female. Pink. Leading. No doubt. Soloist. Gwen Stefani. The Jennifer Lopez. Biggest of, Adele. Adele. Adele is – she doesn't tour as much anymore either. Hmm. It used to be that that's how you made your money, right? Now you Now they're – I don't know. Just, I mean, can you imagine how many gigs Neil Diamond has done? Really, he has been everywhere five times. That's cool. Is that a fact? That's a fact, Jack. Okay. Um, wow. Let's get to some. Um, let's get to some empty news with Jeff Simpson. Jeffrey, what? What else should we be paying attention to in this world? Well, we've been talking a lot about Valentine's Day gifts and what is the perfect gift to give your loved one. And this is a great example of a gift that could have been great had this person just read a little closer what they were buying. What? What? So apparently uh, this man and his wife are huge fans of the band the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, yeah. You've heard of them. Absolutely. Can you name one of their songs? Um, no. <laughs> I have one of them on my... Oh, they did a fun uh, remake of or cover of Love Roller Coaster. Yeah, that's they not also the one had I that have. one where they say, "Give it away, give it away, give it away now." Yeah. Anyway, th- we're getting <laughs> off topic here. <laughs> we're so, not. Hold on. <laughs> we're not. <laughs> so this guy thought he was buying concert tickets to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and uh, this was going to be in Belfast on February tenth. Turns out... Snow. What? hey oh, Snow is the song I have. Oh, okay. It turns out he was actually buying tickets to the bagpipe band, the Red Hot Chili Pipers, <laughs> in Belfast. Man, was he, he wondered, in for a He wondered why he got such a great deal. Yeah, these tickets why are it, only $12. Why it wasn't a very huge venue. But, you know, just to... Just to keep things in good humor and on the light side, they actually followed through with their plans to go to Belfast. 
and they went to the Red Hot Chili Peppers concert. <laughs> I think they only paid what forty bucks per ticket, maybe. So, and then they, but he had bought, he had purchased airplane tickets too to go to this concert. So they just decided to go for it. That's what I would do. Yeah. Would you still go? Oh yeah, for sure. But it wouldn't be the same. Well, it literally would not be the same. It would be quite boring. Not what? boring. Not boring. Come on. Not boring. But you go from a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert to the Red Hot Chili Pipers, I have a feeling you might be disappointed, especially if you're looking for hot peppers. Hot pepper. Anyway. Um, okay. Is this sound from it? This doesn't do it for you, huh? Hmm. Kind of. See, you're bobbing I mean, your head. But I love a bagpipe. No, I, that's one of. I'm going to have one of those at my funeral. Really? Yeah. Are you going to be playing it? No. Okay. I'm going. I want so a bagpipe. You're not being buried with one, then. No. Okay. Well, you know, we have some fantastic sponsors as well that have a couple of other ideas for what you can give your loved one this Valentine's Day if you're not interested in seeing the Red Hot Chili Pipers. And uh, maybe you could take them to a nice restaurant. Darling, I remember bringing you to this restaurant on our very first date. And now that we're celebrating our two-year anniversary, I wanted to bring you back and share this poem I wrote for you. Your eyes beam brighter than a thousand suns, the light of which never dies, the pools of which never run dry. Your sweet embrace feels heavenly, and there's no place I'd rather be enveloped by perfection, with inflections of... Welcome to the Alpha Waffle. Gladys, you still work here? You still eat here? Ugh. Uh, What do you want? Gladys, we'll take two Texas plaid piles, a bucket of pickle brine swine, two hashed potato platers, and a gallon of your pulpiest OJ. Coming right up in two shakes of a pig's tail. Oh, good old Gladys. Some things never change. Like my love for you, my witter wummy waffle. I love you too, Buttercakes. <laughs> oh, darling, the awful waffle. Serving you the same breakfast from when they opened their doors 20 years ago. Literally. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, and happy Valentine's to you. Um, it is uh, also time for the empty news segment of the program. Jeffrey, what else should we be covering? So we hear a lot of these stories, and I, I want to make an interesting point after the story. What if it's not interesting, by the way? Now well, you've set it to up. me, it's interesting. Okay. That's and good. I want to get your take on yeah. it, too. So according to the Lake City, Florida Police Department, A man made a series of mistakes while robbing a bank on Monday. Mm -mm. According to a news release, Donald Towns, who's 41, walked out of the bank with $1,200 in cash after appearing to show a concealed firearm. Oh, boy. Police said Towns said he wanted to open a bank account and, when asked, provided a driver's license to the bank manager. Mistake number one, right? (laughs) Which was photocopied. That's, uh, yeah. Mistake number two. Yeah. 
Towns had given the bank manager a note that stated he had that he had a gun. Police later discovered the note was written on the back of a medical discharge note. There's another mistake. Oh boy! Which had Towns' name on it. Towns was arrested 36 minutes after the robbery. The suspect <laughs> was located a short distance from uh. the bank. See, we we tell these stories about. These crooks that make these really dumb mistakes, yeah, yeah. where other whereas otherwise they probably would have gotten away with the money, right? Or you know would have been free for he, longer than thirty six minutes. He didn't have a chance. So we we make I don't want to say we make fun of them, but we make light of these people that that make these mistakes. And yet, if I'm honest with myself, mm-hmm. if I ever attempted anything like this, I would be horrible at it. Oh, no. I think we'd all be horrible at it because you're not supposed to be good at this. But you probably would plan ahead. Like he he wasn't thinking much. Yeah. I mean, if I were to do it, I would probably overthink it to the point where it just wouldn't be worth it anymore. You – yeah, you probably would. I mean, because that's – you. this is worrisome to you. you. You're not a thief at heart. No. I mean, you're more not of an, in practice. You're either. more of an arsonist. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean that in the best way possible. You just it's tough to resist some good old-fashioned <laughs> arson. Is <laughs> the, the 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 interesting thing about it is this guy didn't have a chance. The problem with some of these poor people is that they're obviously under the influence of something else and that makes them not think clearly. So you but think- you got to do this stuff sober. You got to be you got to be on top of your game, and no matter what you do, you leave your wallet home, leave your keys home, maybe borrow an Wait, Uber. Are we really giving tips Uber. for robbing a bank? Yeah. Okay. I mean, so you're implying that maybe he's a little jittery. Yeah. Maybe he has some habits that that he needs this right. money to continue to fuel. Yes. Interesting. That's the problem with a lot of these stories. Yeah. They're 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 just not thinking straight. Honestly, you shouldn't be doing any of this anyway. And Just you know, get a job. I guess another tip that we learned from the Woody Allen film Take the Money and Run is if you're going to rob a bank, make sure that your handwriting is impeccable. Because <laughs> yeah. you don't want the bank tellers so arguing over what the note says. This says gub. <laughs> I have a gub? What is a gub? Sir, what is a gub? It's a gud. <laughs> I have a gun. No, no. It's not gun. This says gub. I see it clearly here. Larry, does this look like gub to you? That is that okay. That that's that's the age old issue. We we've yeah. Another question. Yeah. If you if you could create your own holiday, yeah. what would it be and why? I I'd call it Veggie Day. Veggie Day? Uh-huh. Like do you want to veg out on the couch? Yes. And it would be an entire it, probably not veg a day. It would be veg a week. Okay. So veg an week. entire week. Yeah. So a, a week of pure vegetation. So maybe to balance things out, maybe to balance the vegging out, out, maybe you could eat some vegetables. Maybe you could eat mm. some veg while you veg out. No, I wouldn't make that part of veg a week. But doesn't it make it okay? No. Hmm. I don't think it matters. Like, it's just it is what it is. It's once we deem it a national holiday. Okay, but isn't it okay for me to gorge myself with Valentine's Day chocolates while I'm working out on the elliptical? They no. balance each other out. Yeah, okay. But it won't change the problem. Okay. So 
Again, we are getting away from the topic at hand here. Yes, you are. Uh, okay. So in Missouri, yeah. lawmakers are considering whether or not to mark an official holiday or an official day to celebrate sliced bread. Hmm? The, sliced bread Sliced day. bread. They're going to celebrate that. Don't you think it deserves its own day, though? No. Well, if okay, but if sliced bread wasn't that great, mm-hmm. why would we have the saying, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread? Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Not that great. Wow. Have you ever, have you ever like been to Italy? I haven't. Um, <laughs> but have you ever like just taken some French bread and just – you don't slice it. You just tear the bread and then you dip it. In like pasta sauce, that you're saying that bread's not as good as sliced bread. Well, this hypothetical immediately deflated because neither you nor I have been to Italy. No, but I, <laughs> but I've been I've been to restaurants that serve Italian okay. food, and I don't need sliced bread. All right, so I'd I rather think, tear my bread. I think the rule is going forward: you can only eat from a whole loaf of bread. You are uh, no longer allowed to cut your bread. No, that's Deal? how. Well, I li- when I lived in Argentina, that's how I didn't. I did it. I would just tear my bread, and then you'd put a little ham or whatever in there, and then you just fold the bread over it. It's just. It's kind of messy. It's very raw. Oh, oh. There's a funny gag that's coming up in the film Early Man, which is about these cavemen. Yeah. Where somebody comes across some sliced bread, and they said, "Sliced bread. This is the greatest thing since ever." Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Because there's nothing to compare it to. Hey, speaking of uh, good stuff, straight ahead we're going to be speaking with Johnny Covey, uh, one of the Covey ch- uh, grandchildren of uh, – grandnephew of Stephen Covey, uh, actually the son of one of my great mentors, John Covey Sr. And he's going to be talking about his book, uh, Five Habits to Lead from Your Heart. That's straight ahead on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, as businesses continue to change and evolve, business leaders are finding that they are facing new and different challenges than those that they faced in the past. Chief among these is the struggle to actively engage and empower employees, many of whom feel undervalued and dissatisfied with their jobs. Here to speak with us today about better leadership is Johnny Covey. He's the author of the book, Five Habits to Lead from Your Heart. Johnny is a motivational speaker, trainer, uh, and MC as well. Um, also, the grandson of one of my great uh, mentors and idols, Johnny Covey, John Covey Sr. Johnny, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good, thanks. I love your grandpa. Oh, yeah. I, I know you guys have worked together and done really cool stuff. It's together. changed my life. He's uh, So you're a, you're a chip off the old Johnny Block. And, uh, yeah. John, I, I love the book, too, uh, Five Habits to Lead from Your Heart. What, what made you get – what made you choose of all the topics that a Covey could choose to work on? What, what, what made you choose this one? 
Um, well, I mean, the the real quick story or version would be when I was 17, I read Stephen Covey's book, obviously, yeah, and decided I'm going to do what he did. And I was so naive and in my heart at the time, I just, I'm like, I know that guy. I can do the same thing. Yeah, he's your uncle. For it. Was, yeah. He's my, I'm like, yeah, that guy, that guy did it. I know him. So <laughs> tens of thousands of hours later of thinking, what, how do we actually change? What is the root cause? Creating a framework, you know, Stephen created a framework that allows us to you know, makes it duplicatable. You can t- train the trainer. You can share with other people. Coming from the heart just came up over time of realizing the real root cause of us not progressing, not moving forward. Where we're stuck is because we're in our head protecting. Hmm. Using the analogy of, you know, in sports, oh, he's in his head. You, know, you can't make anything. Or I'm in my head. So when we're in our head, we're in the back part of our brain that protects. And when we're in our head, that's all we do. It's all defense, all protection. And when we're in our heart, it's all about progression. And we're, you know, sometimes people say, I'm in my heart. Yes, there's the emotion behind it, but we're using our left and right brain to progress. So it's not a concept, some kind of lovey-dovey, you know, it is Valentine's. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) um, So you could definitely use it in that context. But really, for the most part, it's when I'm in my heart, I'm ready to move forward. I see the next steps. I'm... I'm ready to engage. And so that's, that's where this process came from, trying to figure out how do you get to the root and show how, someone how to go from their head to their heart in a simple way that it's really tangible. It's that's really interesting. Easy. Yeah. Is it, it seems like it's a scary tack um, and, and approach because it's almost like we already have our fears and then we, we always want to kind of look good. But it, where you teach this is in business settings. Do the do businesses receive this well? This idea of getting the people into their heart—it's almost yeah, like they want well, us to stay in our head. <laughs> yes and no. So people usually bring me in when there is enough pain to change. Yeah. So our, when we're in, it needs to change. It's this is unhealthy. This is this is not working. So, I mean, unfortunately, most of the time it's like, okay, this something's happening in our culture or something's not happening that should. We are on defense. We cannot move the ball forward. We can't, you know, we're protecting. So when they bring me in, you know, they're saying we need to change what we're experiencing. So our experience is really what we think, what we feel, and what we do. And so the framework of Head to Heart allows you to break down and get present. Okay, this is what the, the thoughts of our culture are. Then it triggers this feeling, so therefore we're doing this. So it makes perfect sense why our employees are doing this or what they're experiencing because we have this head culture, mm. and we know it, um, and we, we want to progress. Now, yeah, like you said, sometimes we think, oh, just keep stay in your head, just, you know, just do the work and don't think outside the box. But uh, we don't live in that age anymore where you can survive yeah. with that kind of thinking. Yeah. So that, that's where people are more open to it than I would say even, you know, uh, you know, 10 years ago. Absolutely. What would you – what's like a – what's one of the first steps we use to, to kind of move us away from the protecting down into the progressing of our heart? So the first gift that all of us have, the ability to be present, aware of our experience, what we think, feel, and do. That's the hardest part to say, you know, I'm going to be present. If I'm in my head, I'm going to be aware of it yeah. and recognize it. We don't want to be present because we'd rather pretend. Usually when it's painful enough, we'll say, okay, I'll use this first gift. 
of presence to then lead me to the next gift. Now that I'm present, my second gift is the ability to choose. If I know I have a choice between my head and my heart, and not, head's not bad, heart's not good. Right. It's there to protect us. No different than like the taste buds that in my mouth protect me from milk that's gone bad, for example, aren't bad. But I really do prefer the ones that tell me it's taste delicious. So I need my head and my heart. It's just we get stuck in our head when no longer need to protect. It's no longer serving us. It might have served us for a moment. There was a little bit of danger, but we need to move forward and progress. So it's this chain of, hey, I'm present. What am I choosing? Oh, I'm in my head. And really it's a matter of listening and understanding what our emotions are telling us. Mm. Our, our conscience lets us know what's healthy and what's not, what, you know, what's good for us through how we feel. If we feel icky, our conscience is actually telling us just to change. It's like, you're in your head. Let's get out. Yeah. Time to move on. And if we listen and t- not take those emotions as it must be something that must be wrong with me or I'm broken and stop labeling this emotion as good or bad, just a message. And if the message is telling me to change because it's icky, then I can choose a new experience by going from my head to my heart. Mm. So that's, that's, a, that's the process in a, in a really quick nutshell. And then you get good at when you're stuck. Okay, I'm in my head. Go from my head to my heart. And and really just get present in it, recognize the choice that you have, and then let your conscience be your guide. That's it. Yeah. Old, you know, old, old, old wisdom there. You know, let your yeah. conscience be your guide. And how do you know what your conscience is telling you? Well, one of the easiest ways is through my feelings. If it doesn't feel good, change. So that could be something as simple as, you know, in a, in a work setting. You know, I just was mentoring someone the other day, and someone was – telling them how they were a bad leader and really tore them down and they, they really got in their head and started to withdraw from doing the work that they loved Yeah, because they were in their head. And then we went through the process and they realized that what they were thinking, that they were believing what they were saying and they were feeling all this emotion and embarrassed and not of value. And so what they did with the withdrawal and then we went to heart side, they realized what they could be thinking was that was their opinion and I wonder where they're coming from and but they shifted how they felt about the experience, even though it's already happened. Yeah. So she's going to be engaging, doing a lot different than what she had. So it's and you know, in five minutes, she shifted and had a new experience, which is the key to the framework. It's not about just learning something new; it's about having new experience because that's why we do what we do because of the experiences we've had. So we have to have a new experience to to do something different. And then the new experience, yeah. Then it becomes kind of then it's a new reality for us. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Even though it happened the old way, now I look at it as if it was, oh, it wasn't like that. Yeah. It wasn't, it didn't, it didn't mean what I thought it meant. So is this, that's, that's the magic. Yeah. Do, what, um, the fears, it seems like they, they, they kind of come to all of us. We all then tighten up our grip, but I mean, our, our brain might be saying, look, you need to make a living. You need to, this job is important or you've got to do this thing or that thing. And, our, and it makes sense logically, but we don't have the passion for it. And it, how long can you do something you're not really – your heart's not connected to before you get sick, before you break, before you get fired? Yeah. Uh, I mean that, that's, that's a, a great question because I think that's – hopefully that's what we're any, – any area of your life where we don't feel that passion, if we're present, we can ask ourselves – okay, how long can I keep? Hopefully the answer, if we'll listen to our heart, is something needs to change, which often doesn't, it's not always as extreme as we think it means, right? Okay, I got to quit my job altogether. I got to do this magic thing. I got to go and live my passion and do this you know, crazy idea. 
it's often just something very subtle of I need to shift how I'm thinking about this, this job. I think I'm not doing anything of value. Um, I'm in my head about it. And what am I doing of value? And that subtle shift isn't I got to quit my job. It's I need to experience something different while I do my job. That'll change how I feel. That'll right. change what I do. And usually it's something, it's usually very subtle, but when we're using our heart, we're using our left brain, our intelligence, our right brain, our imagination, and we can create something different. So same job, I experience it differently. I, I realize I'm connecting with people. I realize like I can progress and, and how can I make a difference versus, well, you know what? There's this dead end job, I'm done. So that's the shift mm. from head to heart. That's great. Uh, we've got about another minute. What would you say, Johnny, is the is the number one thing we can do? I mean, a lot of this takes, it seems like, some pretty serious courage sometimes to go with the heart and to, to not just always lead with the head. Yeah, great, great question. So the, the first step I would say is to realize, well, once again, I went through those three gifts, but the emotions you're feeling are not often what you think they mean. So if, if you have to have the, the courage, when we're in our heart, we have courage, the courage to look at an experience and analyze it. When you really understand what's happening, your emotions are not telling you you're broken, just like your senses don't tell you, you know, you're broken. When I, when I burn my hand on my stove, it's telling me to change, stop burning my hand. When I, when I eat food that's, you know, that's old and um, disgusting, my taste buds say spit it out. It's not telling me I'm broken. So if, if our emotions are not telling us we're broken, then we have the courage to look at every experience and understand what's, what's, what's it telling me. Hmm. And so when I go into an organization, when I walk someone through this process, they're able to realize, wow, this is what the experience was telling me. Here's what I'm going to learn from it. And then they can progress versus repeating the cycle over and over. So that's the first thing. If you just know my emotions are just a message, period. They're not good. They're not bad. You know, I'm just, they're just telling me something. What is the message? You start to discover what, your life is and what you're experiencing and realize it's okay. This is normal. I'm, what I'm experiencing is very, very normal. So that's a great place to start. Just that's great. listening to your emotions as a message. That's great. Great stuff. Uh, Johnny, thank you so much for your insight, your time. Uh, again, the name of the book is The Five Habits to Lead from Your Heart. And you can get more information about Johnny and his work at johnnycovey.com, johnnycovey.com. Um, boy, if all of us could get more into our heart, wouldn't that be something? Wouldn't that be something pretty powerful? Um, and so one of the things I wanted to, to focus on, too, at this uh, on Valentine's Day is is something Johnny brought up about being present because a lot of us just aren't there, right? We talk about, you know, being in love, and I think many of us think that it, the key to all of this is the love part, that it's it's about the love, but many times it's really more maybe about the little preposition, I guess, in, to be in love is really where the power is. There's there's power in the tiny little word of in, and a lot of us um, focus more on the illusion of love than the presence of it. Johnny brought up the fact that we want to be present in our marriages. So let me just suggest that there's maybe three or four different ins that we might want to work on in our lives, right? When it comes to uh, this holiday season, Valentine's Day, and loving our partner, uh, one might be to tune in to your partner. 
it, it's really interesting how the longer you're married, I'm I will be married 27 years tomorrow, which honestly I can't believe that I'm this old, let alone been married this long. And so, um, but what's Interesting is how often you can cohabitate and live with somebody and actually not be tuned into them. And I want you to imagine that your relationship is like a radio tuner, like those old school radio tuners where you had to dial that dial into that station and you had to keep maneuvering it until you really had a good connection, till there was less static, less interference. How effective are you at actually tuning into your partner every day? It's hard. I get it. We have a lot of distractions. We have a lot of things, technology, you know, vying for our attention, our family, our kids, our job responsibilities. But uh, our goal would be to be attuned to one another and really where our hearts are in sync with each other, where I actually can see and notice the different change in the mood of my partner. I might even be able to check that with her and say, hey, you seem a little down today. You, you seem like something's going on. You seem more stressed. What's up? And I could actually ask for some feedback and be attuned to my partner. What would happen to all of us if we could actually dial in a little bit more? So one of your gifts that you might want to be giving on Valentine's Day is, a, is to tune in and actually try to get on the same frequency with your partner. Another little gift you might be able to give is to allow your partner in. Many of us have stuff going on in our heads, in our minds, in our hearts, things that we don't necessarily dare share, and we don't – we just don't want our partner to know about them. We don't want them to question it. So we just kind of brush them away with a, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. When they are trying to tune in and and we're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. And we don't don't let them in. But one of the rules of having intimacy – by the way, notice the word intimacy also has the word in in it as well – But to have really a close connection to your spouse, you have to be vulnerable enough to let your partner into your life more. So find some way to make your partnership safe enough to share some of your secrets, to share some of the things that you you don't normally talk about. Share when you're anxious. Share when you're worried. Um, and, And basically tell your partner, I don't need you to fix it, but I just want to be able to tell you when I'm stressed. And I don't, I don't have to jump on it and try to solve it for my wife, but man, it'd be powerful if she could allow me in to discuss it. Another one, another way to, to probably um, give back to your partner this Valentine's Day would be to be stay more involved in each other's lives. We now, um, it's so much easier, and I've noticed we have six kids, right? So it's easy in our life to have one of us, okay, you go pick up that kid, and I'll go pick up dinner, and let's go do this. And we, a lot of times we'll go to dinner, and we've, we run out of stuff to talk about about our lives, and instead we end up spending many much of our life talking about our family, our kids, our business. So what if we could actually figure out a way to increase our involvement with each other? and actually get into our partner's hobbies, like what they're doing. Um, My wife started working with me a few months ago, and honestly, it's been the best thing that's ever happened to our marriage. We're now very on the same page. We're we're into each other at a level we just haven't uh, been before. And uh, it's... It actually has been incredibly healing to, I think, both of us. Let's be there for each other in the good times. Let's be there for each other in the hard times. Ask about each other's day. Figure out about uh, how you can actually do more things together. And then last but not least would be to keep in touch. Um, One of the research uh, 
points that I've studied a lot is about the need for every human being to have more touch. You fell in love touching more. You fell in love holding each other more. So make sure that uh, one of the ways that you stay together this season and Valentine's Day as well is that you incorporate more touch. And it doesn't have to be you know, sexual intimacy. It could just be more hand-holding, more kisses, more hugs, more touch. It does a body good. So again, keep in touch. Keep involved. Stay more involved. Allow your partner in and tune in to your partner. All four ways to get more into your spouse this Valentine's season. That is the Coach's Corner. We appreciate uh, the time being with you. We will continue the journey next hour. More insights to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends, and happy Valentine's Day to you. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered celebrating Valentine's Day. Boy, I, I like how you guys dressed up. Uh, Terry's dressed up like Cupid with uh, a little diaper and an arrow. And uh, Jeff's wearing the flamenco dress. And you're wearing a kilt, which I'm a little confused yeah. at because I don't know how that's associated with Valentine's Day. Because I'm Scottish. Wrong. Irish and have a little Italian and Greek in me. Wrong. Very little, apparently. By the way, I'm the only family member in my family with Italian and Greek. Hmm. I don't understand that. But uh, on Ancestry.com, I they took my DNA and none of my sisters <laughs> have my same. You make it sound like they took it against your will. Well, no. they were. I was just <laughs> running in a field and a helicopter threw a net over me. Ooh. And then they tranked me. Kind of like that elk that had a. <sighs> that was too, that's too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Anyway, we've got a great show for you today. By the way, if you missed any of our last hours, you, you're going to want to go back. We've given a lot of great advice for Valentine's Day. And the way you'd, you'd go back is you go to iTunes, you go to TuneIn, to Stitcher, go to BYURadio.org. You'll have to give us about an hour right from now because we've got to upload everything. You've got but to finish the show first. Then once, we can put the podcast. Once the show's finished, then you can go back and you, we can give you, I mean, really a lot of ideas on how to make Valentine's Day Work. Go see the Red Hot Chili Pipers. That is a great band. If you are into pipe music, yeah. a great band. Red Hot Chili Pipers. Go to the Awful Waffle. Yeah. If you're worried about your kids smooching when they shouldn't be smooching, you can get them the Zapper, the Yapper Zapper. The Yapper Zapper. From Diddy Dental. Uh-huh. We've got a lot of sponsors. We'll be playing some of their, uh, their advertisements, I guess we're going to call them. But um, we also are celebrating, by the way, the Olympics. Sean White wins a gold medal in the half pipe, which, by the way, you know, so much better than the full pipe is the way I like to look at it. And really, what a relief for him because he had a similar situation where he could have taken it in Sochi and he didn't quite pull through. And so he he was really animated and excited by his win. A lot of people love watching the Olympics. In fact, of all the cities, Terry, you told me Salt Lake City 
one of the most popular Olympic viewing areas. Yes, which is a common occurrence when it comes to the Olympics. I bet it's actually all of the it's all of the places that have had the Olympics. Um, actually, let me see here. Like I uh, have the list: Colorado, Aspen, Colorado, probably Salt Lake, Denver, Milwaukee, Portland, Kansas City. Oh wow, those are your so, top five. Salt Lake and Denver—they've had Olympics uh, near there, or they—they're skiing involved. I, I don't think Milwaukee is no. big into. Portland, I, I'm not sure they've ever had the Olympics there, <laughs> but they do have the show Portlandia. Right. Okay, Kansas City. All yeah, right. they're just depressed because the Chiefs, again, failed them. But the they were so close. So close. Uh, and, you know, who knows? Maybe Andy Reid will come coach at BYU. Yeah, that's always the hope. That's what, Every time there's a new coaching idea, hey, let's have Andy Reid do it. He's got nothing going on except running the Chiefs. Lucrative. Pro career, but whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, we're covering a lot today, but let's get to the headlines with Terry and, and get to the real news and, and, and see what we have to be focused on. So this story is interesting. It's out of Pennsylvania. Governor Tom Wolf rejected the Republican legislature's redrawn congressional district maps on Tuesday, saying the map submitted to my office by Republican leaders is still a gerrymander. Hmm. The move follows the Pennsylvania Supreme Court's order in late January for all 18 of the state's districts to be redrawn before the 2018 election after finding gerrymandering that plainly and palpably benefited the GOP. Of course. Gerrymandering meaning you set up the districts to benefit the Republicans. Yeah, politics is the age-old issue of politics. Now, Democrats do this in Democratic states also, and there's issues with gerrymandering there. So, Wolf said the Republican legislature's attempt to map kept 70% of the districts uh, the court had found unconstitutional. So, they really did, 70% of what they submitted was the exact same thing. Oh. So, he's like, okay, the court said this stuff's wrong, and you guys didn't do your homework and fix it, so fix it. Ah. Um... So, barring some kind of 11th hour agreement at the Capitol, the court has declared its intent to impose a new set of congressional maps by next Monday for use in the primary. The court said, if you can't fix this, we will. Uh Uh-oh. And that's by Monday. So, earlier this month, the U.S. Supreme Court dismissed the state Republicans' request to halt the order from the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. So, when the Supreme Court in Pennsylvania said these are gerrymandered districts, the Republicans said, we'll take this to the Supreme Court. This is overreach. Oh, boy. And the Supreme Court said, nope, we're going to let the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruling stand. So, now they have to fix all these districts. Oh, boy. They have primaries coming up. You know, it's kind of a rush job here, but they're not changing and doing what the courts told them to right. a nonpartisan map in pencil a nonpartisan map in pennsylvania election law experts say would likely result in democrats picking up as many as three seats helping their bid to retake control of the u.s house of representatives wow so if they redistrict pennsylvania yeah it will flip three house seats to democratic seats and could help uh-huh. push the u.s house of representatives to democratic control that's why this is such an important issue. <laughs> this is crazy. And they've also, when the uh, Pennsylvania Supreme Court made their ruling, a Republican in the Pennsylvania legislature moved to have five of them of the justices impeached over oh, this ruling. Wow! I don't know where that went, but that was the news that came out of that. So it's kind of this a, is getting crazy. Crazy. Um, also. Crazy stuff. The White House Chief of Staff John Kelly has severely mishandled the allegations of domestic abuse against former Staff Secretary Rob Porter. Numerous White House aides and advisors told the Washington Post so much that one said it amounts to dereliction of duty. Oh. Which is a military term. Right. 
He's a general. Didn't know if you knew that. Did you know oh, he's yeah. General Kelly? Last Mad week, dog. Oh, that's Mattis. That's that's Mattis. Yeah. He's fine. Last week, Porter's two ex-wives came forward, said Porter physically and verbally abused them during their marriages. Kelly's first defended Porter. And the White House eventually landed on a timeline that had Porter's background investigation ongoing through his departure. In front of the Senate Intelligence Committee Tuesday, FBI Director Christopher Wray contradicted these version of events, saying the White House received a partial background report for Porter in March, with the full report sent in July. Several people told the Post that in the wake of the Porter fiasco, President Trump has been asking for possible replacements for Kelly, and many senior staffers say that they believe that Kelly told them to offer a misleading timeline about the Porter accusations. Hmm. He's a, quote, big fat liar, one staffer said. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds... Not usually how you talk about your boss. Those are fighting words. Yeah. Kelly Kelly does not believe that he should have full blame for the fallout, one confidant told the Post, and he thinks the White House Communications Office should take some of the responsibility. So the press secretary and her assistant that went out in front of the, the press corps and told them a different set of events. Infighting. This is not good. When asked by the Post if Kelly would have been more transparent or truthful, one staffer responded, In this White House, it's simply not in our DNA to be transparent. One staffer said that? And truthful. Yeah. He said oh, they don't wow. even have a plan on how to tell an alternate set of events. It just sort of Plus, like happens. Scaramucci's now coming in saying, yeah, Kelly's got to go. Yeah. Well, he wants the job, too. <laughs> the House Oversight Committee has launched an investigation uh. into the scandal involving former White House Staff Secretary Rob Porter. Uh, that was from uh, Trey Gowdy, who's the chairman of that committee. Oh, that will boy. be that was confirmed today, and okay. then it will happen All right. Sure. That makes uh, sense. Senator Bob Corker, remember him? He said he wanted to leave his seat and not yeah. run for re-election. Oh, yeah. He was done with, um, he was done there, with it There all. are many headlines out there that he's considering becoming recorked. And no way. running for office. He wouldn't do Not that. Not stepping down. It's just causing a lot of turmoil in Tennessee but where he's the senator But it's just basically from. because the seat could turn. It could turn. He's, they're worried about it could turn into a Democratic seat. So let me get this straight. He doesn't want the job. No. But he may have to stay six more years. Yes. So as not to lose the seat. There you go. <sighs> that would be horrible. Is that... I guess what he would do is probably... Win the election. Then do you step down and the governor appoint somebody? Then you step down by the governor, if the governor is a Republican governor. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. That's but cruel, though. Why would you do that to your voters? That's tricking them. Yeah. That's what they do. It's best for America, they would say. America Cor- first! Corker is becoming recorked. Oh, boy. It's difficult enough to cater to the needs of one VIP, much less 600 of them. Jerry Gremick, who works as a canine concierge at New York's Hotel Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. takes it stri- in stride during the Westminster Kennel Club dog oh, show. Oh, boy, don't bring this up to me. There is no diva behavior. There is no fights. He told a local news uh, station about, as it says here, the four-legged guests. Yeah. There is nothing like that. They're great. That doesn't mean there isn't the odd request or two. Some people like an opera singer to be requested, he says. It was the case for one high-class uh, pooch. I guess. <laughs> so we arrange an opera singer to be here to serenade a dog in the lobby. He added uh, the New York Times. And he, he also has hired uh, dog acupuncturist and, and psychics. Uh, the, I think I stayed at this hotel. The Hotel Pennsylvania is charging guests $179 for one or two adults and up to four dogs, a rate that also gives access to the dog spa, <laughs> which is dog S apostrophe paw. Do they get Dog the cucumbers spa? on the eyes and yeah. the facial it's the, scrub? Uh-huh. It's the city's largest indoor doggy spa. 
By the way, I view I but this is true, sir. I have stayed at that hotel. And the Doggy Hotel? The Pennsylvania. The Pennsylvania. Ah. And I have stayed there um, during the Westminster dog show, mm. not knowing this, I show up <laughs> and there are dogs everywhere. And I have allergies. There are dogs everywhere. And then there's there's dog fur in all the in all of the soap. It's a mess. So the uh, dog show, the Westminster dog show, wrapped up last night. Mm. Uh, a white ball of fluff was the winner. Flynn. Flynn. Ah, Flynn. A Flynn. B.I. Yeah, we're just going to skip. Yeah. I, I don't yeah, even don't, know the no, name of this dog. See, I can't say it correctly, so I'm going to say it incorrectly. Don't, don't even say it. Just it's a pooch. It's a, You can look it up. It's a Flynn. He's a fluffy. I'm assuming it's a he. Yeah. But it's a ball of fluff. Uh, it's America's top dogs. So. By the way, um, apparently, like 80% of the dogs that win are males. Really? Really. So there is an inherent bias. So is there so, going to be a Me Too movement for the dog show? There's sexism in dog shows, Apparently. too. Like, I, I don't know why. It doesn't seem fair. Wow. What about... But it's real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. How much... A lot. What do you think but. is a really good salary it, to, be, to be earning if you work for the federal government? Oh. Well, in what position? I mean, are you like, in management? Or are you in middle management? Are I worked you... in the elections office... That's a government job. Like entry level? Uh, no, just like, yeah, let's say you've been in 20 years. 20 years? What, like 60? Yeah, listen to this. 60,000? In December 2017, our Open the Books oversight report that's titled Mapping the Swamp, a study of administrative state, mm. found $114 billion in compensation mm. paid to 1.35 million federal civil service employees. So do the math. This, and by the way, in- excludes U.S. postal workers. And that's how much? But listen to this. In fiscal year 2016, they found 165% growth in bureaucrats making $200,000 or more. Mm. 30,000 bureaucrats out-earned all 50 governors – at 190,000. So the federal government right now has 30,000 bureaucrats that make more money than $190,000, more than the governors of the country. The average salary at 78 large federal agencies, this is the average salary, exceeds $100,000. Hmm. Average. Seems, seems like a lot. Right. Now, I mean, I'm sure they've earned it. I'm sure everyone said well, they earned it, and it's yeah. The, the other problem you're living is in New, and you're living in D.C. Right, where you're living, they try to adjust to that. Also, the idea that if you keep losing people, yeah, to uh, the private sector, then they start raising the the pay rate to try to compete a little bit, and right. that ends up. But sometimes they get out of control with that, and you start paying right. someone a, a lot more money than they would make in the private sector. And Remember, so, I mean, civil service used to be like a gift. You'd, you'd be giving back. Right. But if the average salary at 78 federal agencies exceeds hundred grand, that's, that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I mean, I, I'm totally in the wrong business. <laughs> I should have work for the government should they make that much it's a lot of money by the way how do you feel how do you feel the roi is your return on your investment that's a good question we talk about a lot of executives you know being overpaid in their businesses but they're turning a major profit do you feel like do you feel like the government's running that effectively 
You got to love it every once in a while when one of these government employees admits publicly like, yeah, we get paid way too much. Yeah. And I've actually done a lot of work with some of these groups and they're incredibly professional at those levels. It's just, is that what we're agreeing to do now? And does everybody know that? I just don't think everybody understands. And but so what they have to do is they have to redact the salaries because if we could see some of the numbers, 45 redactions uh, of salaries so you couldn't see the numbers um, in 2016, 137,000 were redacted. This is just in the Department of Homeland Security alone. Wow. So now, I mean, there's a lot of people. Again, it's money and people deserve to work their way up, right? But um, we got a big bureaucracy going on. Are they – I mean because we have government officials that are categorizing government workers as essential yeah. or non-essential whenever there's a threat of a government shutdown, right? Right. So is there somebody within the government – and I assume there's somebody doing this in every job. But how often are they taking a look at these salaries and saying, you know what? We can make a little cut there. We can take a little bit there. Yeah. Take a little bit here. Do they have people doing no, that? I bet not. They need to. I bet not. And it, they make a good point. If you want to have the Harvard-trained people to go work for the government, you got to pay them. Well, then maybe we don't. Right? Maybe we don't. Or uh, maybe that's not what's really happening. Maybe – I don't know. Again, the government – I respect anybody that would work anywhere really. But we do have bureaucracy going on and we have a lot of weird stuff happening – um, and a lot of people making a lot of money doing it. So anyway, uh, let's uh, let's get any more empty news that we need to cover before we take our, our next break and get to Dr. Paul Jenkins. Because he's going to be talking about how to deal with a boss that you really don't like. So if you are struggling with your boss, hey, what better Valentine's Day gift to give you today than how to deal with a boss that you don't like? But uh, let's get to one more headline. Sure. There's a mother-daughter duo who uh, took out a couple of carjackers. And I love this story because it sounds like it could be a show on the BBC. Really? Police in the – which is funny because it's in Virginia. Yeah. Police in the Virginia suburbs of the nation's capital say two would-be carjackers fled from their intended victims when a splash of hot cocoa and a dash of resourcefulness entered the mix. Oh, boy. Police in Prince William County, Virginia, said in a statement that a 50-year-old woman exited a 7-Eleven convenience store on Saturday night with some purchased items with two men, one with a handgun, approached and demand. Oh, when two men, one with a handgun, approached and demanded her vehicle. Police say the woman struck one man with her bag before her 22-year-old daughter threw her hot chocolate oh. toward both men, who then fled on foot. No Good one was hurt. Job. No Dangerous, property was taken. But that is some. I just see the. I just see in the headline "Crime and Cocoa," and I think that is like that's sweet. That's like a BBC. That's like a BBC show right, right. there. Crime and Coco. No, it's Coco. Coco seems like the you know the nickname of one of the cops. Oh yeah, no, but they're not cops. They're like they're a couple of I don't want to say old biddies, but they're a couple of old biddies who sit around <laughs> drinking cocoa. Yeah, who also solve crimes. Oh yeah, crime and cocoa. That is that's great in cars. <laughs> 
Crime and Coco with Cars. And Jerry Seinfeld has a guest spot on it. That's such a great gig. Oh, wow. Congrats to them. That's what we always need is some um, Coco, you know, throwing, tossing seniors. It's great. That's why we're here, folks, to help you make it through life, giving you uh, ways to defend yourself right here on The Matt Townsend Show. say I am the best boss. They go, I've never worked in a place like this before. You're hilarious. And you get the best out of us. So good. There it is. Steve Carell is Michael Scott. Uh, by the way, many people um, say to me, man, you remind me of Michael Scott. And I say, I correct them. You mean Steve Carell? And they're like, no, Michael Scott. And I don't, I don't I'm offended by that a little bit because He's not the greatest manager. <laughs> He's quite offensive, actually. Joining us to talk about how to deal with a boss that you really struggle with uh, is Dr. Paul Jenkins. Paul ha- received his Ph.D. in clinical psychology right here at Brigham Young University way back in the day. Way back in the day. And he's a member of the American Psychological Association, the American Psychology Law Society, and the Utah Psychological Association. He's known as the shrink who expands your life. You can find out more about him by going to his website, drpauljenkins.com. Uh, hello, Paul. How are you? Hey, good morning, Matt. You, uh, I love my boss. Do you? Your wife? Well, yeah. Yeah, I've met your it's wife. It's Valentine's she is, Day. I know. Isn't she wonderful? You know too? what? She figures up my paycheck. She writes my paycheck. Not great. She deposits my does paycheck. She do, does she work with you a lot? Yeah. That's my, my wife yeah. works with me now. It's the I greatest thing ever. I about that earlier. It really, yeah. it's the best decision I've ever made. It's really cool. Actually, she made it. Mm-hmm. It's the best decision she ever made. Some people, that doesn't work out so well. No. Yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, it's and it really it well depends on the stage. Like, it wouldn't have maybe worked as well a few years ago because she would have been stressed. Mm. But our kids are pretty independent now, and it's good. Now, yeah. so this gets us to a uh, the topic at hand, which is how to deal with your boss if you don't like him. Now, if they're you're, driving you nuts, you are your boss, mm-hmm. or your wife is your boss. So <laughs> you've got to make that one work. But what if you don't have a boss that you're married to? (laughs) And it happens all the time. All the time. You know what? I always go back to the same place with this. Where? You can change only a few things, and one of those is not your boss. No. Unless you quit, right, and go work somewhere else. Where you start with this in your mind matters. Totally. A whole lot. Notice what kind of a position you're taking. You know about... um, confirmation bias. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a psychological principle that any position that we choose, and I'm using that word intentionally, Yeah. any position that we choose about whatever, our mind will go look for and find and often create evidence, evidence. Yeah. that we're right about that. That's right. Whatever our position is. In fact, I was talking to a lady about this yesterday, and she had a new car, and I'm like, have you noticed how many people have a white Toyota like you? Right. And she's like, yeah, there's a lot of them out there. <laughs> and I'm like, honestly, I've never noticed. I've never seen it because I don't have a white Toyota. So I'm not looking for confirmation of my choice, mm-hmm. but you are. And we see what we're looking for. Right. And it's not like you're thinking, oh, I'm going to go look for evidence. No. Oh, no. It's just naturally what your mind does. Yeah. So if you take a position, I hate my boss. Or my boss is driving me nuts. Yeah. 
guess what you're going to be finding a lot of? Yeah. Now, it's interesting because it seems like that wouldn't be very smart psychology hmm. because it would actually give you a disproport. It would it would set you up to actually – like if you wanted to confirm that you're safe uh-huh. in the jungle, yeah, then you'd go pretend like you're safe. But meanwhile, all these animals are ready to eat you. <laughs> it seems like you should actually always – Disconfirm your bias. If well, we, you know that we to have go the ability. The you have the ability to to seek for contrary evidence, yeah. but you're not inclined to. No, do we're that. not, are we? We're inclined to find right. what we want to find. Yes, and you'll do it subconsciously a lot of times, so you don't even know you're doing it. Yeah, just being aware of your own thought patterns creates a little space for you, yeah. and then that space is where our choice is. It's called True. metacognition. It's thinking about thinking. Yeah, we don't do that very well. Because what would you what would you think about your thinking with? <laughs> your thinker. Your thinking. That's right. Yeah, it's like you're inside the box. One of my friends said, uh, "Here, here we are trapped inside of this box, and our whole experience is projected on the inside of this box. Mm-hmm. It's all we know. And there's instructions for getting out of your box, but they're printed on the outside of your yeah, box. You have to. Be, you need somebody on the outside to read them to you. Yeah, which is a plug for coaching. That's exactly right. Right, That's to, a great one. And and to surround yourself with people who can give you accurate feedback. Mm-hmm. But going back to this this confirmation bias. So if you've decided that you hate your boss, then you're going to be finding all kinds of evidence to support that belief. Right. Noticing that you're doing that puts you in a position of choice. And then you can ask yourself, well, what do I want to feel? What what do I want to perceive about my boss? I mean, mm. pick a position. Right. We had uh, – Vicky and I had, a, had an experience years ago with a fellow in our neighborhood who just drove people nuts all the time. Yeah. And uh, Vicky commented to me when she says, he, he doesn't seem to annoy you that much. And I said, well, he entertains me. I had taken a position. He's just funny. That this guy entertains me. And guess what my mind was finding? Every time he opened his mouth, I'm like smiling inside my head. I'm like, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's you know, great. That's another example yeah. I can use or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. But I had taken a whole different position. That is – now, that's so hard to do though. It seems like in your job – because your money's on the line, right? Your mm. all these things are on the line, and what if they? Uh, what if? What if my boss doesn't like me? What if my boss mm-hmm. doesn't promote me? So it almost accentuates the fear, right? And then your behavior toward that boss will be affected by your own perceptions, yeah, right? And you're more likely to cause interactions and situations with that boss that will actually fulfill yeah, your fears, yeah. So it's this trap that we get into, and it's so important to choose on purpose right. what perception would serve me well. Right. And and even if it doesn't come naturally to you, you can start practicing it. Yeah. And you, I a, guess you could practice it on anyone or on anything. Oh, sure. Yeah, and there's little brain hacks. There's little tricks that you can do mm-hmm. to put yourself in position. Uh, for example, if you think about um, – Think about getting a new car, for example. You mentioned the, yeah. the white Toyota. Maybe that's your dream car. I don't know whose dream car is yeah, a white Toyota, yeah. but whatever it is, you know, just yeah. picture yourself in this brand new car and it's beautiful and it's all yours. Yeah. And you're driving along and you see right over there on the curb is that boss that you hate. And that boss is saying, uh. hey, Matt, 
come over here. Yeah. And you're like, oh, crap, I didn't want to do yeah. that. And then you drive over to the curb. And he says, hey, Matt, sweet ride. Do you mind if I drive it? Mm. And you're like, oh, I didn't really want to do that. Yeah. yeah. But you open the door, you kill the engine, you, you hand him the keys. Yeah. And the boss climbs into the seat of your brand right. new automobile that's all yours, fires it up and drives it right into a foam pole. Bam! <laughs> Just wraps it around a tree what? or something. Right. Totals the car. Your boss is fine. Boss hops out and says, oh, sorry. Now, what's wrong with this story? It, it, Would you ever? No. Turn over the keys. No. But we're not talking about a car. We're talking about your emotional vehicle. Yeah. Your emotional and psychological life, are you turning over the keys to someone who's driving you crazy? What You might want to hang on to your keys a little tighter. Yeah, we, we always turn it over, don't we? You know, another thought, and this is another brain hack. It, take your salary for a minute. Just think about whatever your wages are. Right. Okay? Cut it in half. Now, people typically don't want to take half of their salary. But let's just pretend for a minute that half of your salary is for doing your job. The other half is to deal with this crazy boss. Mm. You know, this woman that you hate, this guy who's driving you nuts. Half of your salary is to deal with them. Now, would you rather Yeah. just do your job and not be bothered by this person? You're going to have to take half of your salary. Or would you accept the job of dealing with this person? Yeah, is, and is it worth it for half your salary? Right. And, and just, uh, for, for a lot of people, oh, yeah. Half of my wages are to deal with this person. Could I do that? If, if somebody offered me half of what I'm being paid right now just to deal with this person while I'm doing my job, would I take it? That's great. And if you wouldn't, maybe you've got to look for another job. Yeah, this isn't working for you. Right? This is not the right place for you. But just having that kind of a mental perspective sometimes helps you to show up at your job and say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is what I'm being paid to I do. I can handle this. It, it almost seems like, too, if you just – even if you could just like use some of these hacks to, mm-hmm. to get through the week or the month, nothing is more constant than change. Something is going to change. It's Either got to. you're going to get a new job, you're going to move jobs, your boss is going to I mean something's going to happen eventually. How often do you have the same boss for 20 years anymore? Mm. It just doesn't yeah. happen as Well, that's much. right. And the other thing, what's changing? If you take an intentional approach to your own perspective, who's changing? Yeah, I am. Well, you are. And that is going to impact yeah. the people around you. This is the very best chance you have to influence your boss in a positive way. And if you're showing up in a more positive way with your boss, chances are you're going to get a more positive response right. from that boss. It seems like, um, yeah, there's something about being in that driver's seat of your own mind, your own life, that mm-hmm. it not only empowers you, but it actually then creates clarity for you to see how to move on, how to progress, how to work around this obstacle. Mm-hmm. And it has an impact on people around you. Yeah, That's a sympathetic resonance concept. And this comes from physics and even music. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you start a tuning fork uh, ringing and you yeah. run it along the strings of a harp without touching them. You get to the string with the same frequency 
the same yeah, note, vibration, yeah. and it starts singing along with it. Does it really? It does. That's you cool. Can, this is physics. I mean, there are waves of energy that, yeah. that are attuned to that particular frequency. Do you think we really would rather – it's almost like we'd rather have the victim story hmm. than, than have success in fixing the problem. You know what? There is some security in taking that victim position yeah. because it's not my fault. No, I have no responsibility. You anymore. always can blame someone or something else. But the trap is that you you now have no control either. Mm-hmm. And you're waiting for whoever or whatever you think is responsible for your misery to fix this for you. So true, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we're speaking with Dr. Paul Jenkins, uh, who has his own podcast, Live on Purpose podcast. He is the shrink who expands your life. He also on YouTube has Live on Purpose TV. That's right. Um, and where you can go get now dozens and dozens of uh, 10, 15 minute Ten to 15 coaching minutes. moments. Yeah, five times a week. And we did one on this topic, man. It's huge. How to deal with a boss you hate. Yeah. And now I guess the instinct would be just quit. But there's it almost seems like what you're teaching is there's more valuable uh, – there's more growth, it sounds like, in sticking it out and learning some of this stuff instead of just quitting. Well, it, it, if that could empower you – to move forward and deal with the difficult things that are sure to happen in your life. Yeah. Uh, what kind of a skill set does it require to deal with a boss that you hate? Right. And could that skill set serve you well wherever you go? So true. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of do the hard things. Right. You do the hard uh, thing now, you create an easier life uh, for yourself. It's just not what I expected. When is it? Yeah, right. Get in line. Yeah, surprise. And, and so there is – I mean the, the funny thing is too is why not be the boss then? Yeah. Like eventually if you can if you can learn to lead the difficult boss, mm-hmm. you actually would be a great boss. Right. People are going to notice. Yeah. This guy's handling him really well because even the difficult boss has a boss that knows what the other person's like. He knows what these people are like. It's not a secret that this person's hard to deal with. Right. And and your ability to do that well mm-hmm. serves you well. And it almost seems like sometimes in business and corporations, we don't hire people to be bosses because they're great bosses. Mm-hmm. They just have gotten results. Right. And But results don't always make you a great well, manager. Well, and a lot of times people are promoted to the level of their incompetence. Yeah. So they were really good at a job and then they got put into a management position right. in that job. It doesn't mean that they're good at the management. No, in fact, and, and a lot of times they're not happy there either. Yeah. But it's kind of – it's how we move people up. Right. Instead of, instead of letting the, the best salespeople be the best salespeople, we make them managers of salespeople and then they kind of go and Sometimes miserable, they're not very good at that. Which is why 70% of people are probably they're – de- they're detached. They're, they're not engaged in mm-hmm. their work. Any other advice you give us uh, to deal with the boss that we really aren't liking? So going back to our own mindset, I don't think there's a neutral choice. I think we always fall on the side of either love or hate. Mm. And I use the word hate because people hate the word hate. That's strong. But it, just three quick steps yeah. for how to choose hate. Yeah. Assume the worst. Yeah. Practice pride because you know you're right. Yeah, you know you're right. Your heels You've about been that. at this forever. And then use your creative energy to destroy, mm. to punish and to hurt and to injure. Yeah. Okay? That's a hate choice. Well, what's the opposite? Assume, Love, yeah. the, assume best. the best. 
Okay, start from that because you don't know what other people's intentions are, even if they tell you. Right. You don't know. Assume the best. Step two. Humble yourself. Practice humility. Yeah. Yeah, because even if you know you're right, doesn't mean that you are. Right. And would you rather be right or open? That's right. And understand what's going on. Yeah. So practice that humility. Maybe this person could teach you something. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Imagine that. Right. And then step three, use that creative mind of yours to come up with ways to build and elevate and lift and create instead of destroy. Yeah, that's power. And then you'd naturally feel more peace, even if you're still dealing with a difficult boss. You know what? It's not about them. Right. Never is. I was running a group with juvenile delinquents. This was early in my career. Yeah. And this kid comes in, and he's got his hat on sideways. He's got a bolt through his nose. Was this a scout trip? Right. And and this kid is saying, I respect those who respect me. And I'm like, wow, that is impressive. (laughs) That takes a lot of character, right? No, you respect someone because you're a respectful person. Yeah. Has nothing to do with them. Right. See how that puts the power right back in your hands. And Matt, it takes some maturity. No, it does. To do that. Sometimes it always feel like grown up. Sure. Right. Paul Jenkins is his name. You're not going to want to miss him. Uh, Go to drpauljenkins.com and or go to YouTube and just look up Paul Jenkins. Just it's on. It's Live on Purpose TV. Live on Purpose TV. He's the man, the myth, the legend. Yep. The shrink who expands your life. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Matt. Good stuff. Hey, BYU Sports Nation, straight ahead. We're going to find out what they'll be doing for their significant others uh, on this great Valentine's Day. L is for the way you look at me. O is for the only one. Welcome back. Uh, L is for the way Jerem looks at me as he looks through the glass and stares in. I feel like a, a an animal at the zoo. But today we're going to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, uh, Jerem and Jason today. Hello, gentlemen. Good morning. Hello. That's Jason first and Jerem second. Hey, um, happy Valentine's Day. What's up? Same yeah, you. yeah. Yes. Don't you do a, like a dinner thing? Uh, I did a big date night last, oh, last Saturday. Oh, nice. That's exciting. Do you and, feel, I'm, and I'm way off on the timing yeah, on that. Yeah. Do you feel more <laughs> pressure to – you can't – Oh yeah. you personally no. cannot just have no. a normal Valentine's well, Day. Well, here's the problem. Tomorrow is my anniversary. 27 years married. Wow. I know. You got married the day after Valentine's Day. Yeah, because why it was not, Why in. not on Valentine's it, Day? Well, because it was, uh, I think, Come. everything was booked. Okay. So it was President's Day weekend, so then I took my wife, listen to this, on an exotic trip to St. George. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. we then studied for a midterm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then I went, and not to brag, but I aced that midterm. As like as You're if anybody focused. would think you wouldn't? You're too focused. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I just... Not enough Finally. time with your wife. No. More in the books. That's it. Uh, <laughs> so so we don't celebrate Valentine's because really we think our anniversary is more important than Valentine's Day. Not to, not to be So rude. it gets you off the hook basically. Totally. You don't have to do both. Tomorrow I have to deliver though. I have to really hit a home run tomorrow. It's like people who have birthdays near Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot easier. What, uh, what are you guys going to do for your um, better halves? 
Um, lots of things. The gift of attention, man. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no. You haven't thought of it. After either. all, isn't it all about time? Yeah. Um, probably not. Cook with time. It depends. It depends what they want. Yeah. Um, you, so you guys, I, I, I'm, I'm picking up the vibe that we're not quite sure yet. Hey, I we don't have get plans. They're I'm no, not going to be home for a couple of hours. Lots can happen between now and then, okay? Plus, you have that commute that you can think things through. Yes, I've got the 45 to an hour yeah. commute, depending yeah. on traffic, that I can really hone uh, <laughs> my Valentine's Day giving gift ideas. Right, right, right. So yes. yes. Okay. All right. Um, okay, so I'm sorry I exposed both of you. <laughs> Thanks for... Uh, Having that happen on national radio, yeah, that's yeah. that was really embarrassing. Really appreciate that. Hey, what do you think of Sean White winning a gold? Did you catch Pretty all cool, that? Right? Yeah, very cool, huh? Yeah. How, now, how do you guys? I mean, I know you guys are really big into boarding and the half pipe and everything. Um, how it's do you given. think? Yeah, how do you think you're doing? How do you think? How do you think he's doing? How do you think the U.S. is doing? Are we winning enough gold? How come it's only the snowboarders and the half pipes that are winning? It's a good question for uh, for the wrong people. I don't know. I'm I'm entertained by. Have you ever been on a snowboard? I have never even been on a snowboard. I've never yeah. snowboarded. No, yeah, I never have. It's no. it's very. Di- if you're a skier, it's it's not something's not right about snowboarding. Because are you a skier, man? I'm a skier. You seem like a skier. But once you catch the lip of a snowboard, you're pretty much Forget three inches it. deep in the snow with your face just ground in. I'm I'm just amazed. At just how talented people who, you know, when you get to that level of competition, Olympics, I mean, you're literally talking about the best of your country. And to be able to see how good these these athletes are in their individual events is unbelievable. Absolutely. The amount of time that goes into preparing for that, and it all, you know, it's all based on getting to this one moment. Ugh. And then he does it. I mean, yeah. it's fantastic. And 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 he talked about how hard it was in Sochi when he didn't do it. He didn't deliver when he needed to. But he was also in a funk, and he was losing his energy to be in the sport and to pull all of that back four years later and do it. That's got to be such a relief. It's it's a pretty cool story. Yeah, I love it's like it. it's like when we prepare for this show. <laughs> I mean, and we like, don't deliver. Like it's yeah, all about it's like the weeks of preparation for one individual show. Right, right. And then when we nail it, yeah. like we do, uh-huh. that exhilaration that you feel is or, fantastic. Or like when you guys Sochi it. Like there have been, we've had other days. days, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who hasn't yeah. Sochi'd once or twice? Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, that's I, I totally get it. Um, now, now, you guys, just to prepare to find out what's on your show today, fill me in. What? How are we? How are you going to stick the landing today? Okay, so Notre Dame had to cough up some wins from 2012 and 13. They oh, played boy. BYU during those years. Yeah, we we're going to celebrate the fact that BYU didn't lose to Notre Dame huh. with Riley Nelson, the quarterback on the team that played. Oh, fun. Of the, of the teams that played against. That's good. Yeah. I, I am not going to expound on this. I'm not going to explain anything. I'm just going to say one word. Mm. Nickelback. That, mm. Yes, that's will be discussed. Plus, Pepperdine fired their head coach in uh, men's basketball. He's going to, uh, Marty Wilson. Is BYU walking into a trap Thursday night at Pepperdine? <gasps> Uh-oh. He'll, play, he'll coach the rest of the season. Is, he, you're fired. In two weeks. Trent Playstead will join us. Weird. He was a uh, second-round pick in the NBA from uh, the Brigham about <laughs> 10 years ago. He will join us. Plus, Jeff Judkins, women's basketball coach. Lots going on in the NBA with his team. 
Chaudi. We didn't talk about Sean White. Yeah, Are we'll you? talk about Sean White. Yes, absolutely. Can, um, and is it okay to wear red today for BYU fans? Yeah. That. Well, I mean, yeah. Can't, I mean. Is it? I'm wearing pink. See, but that's not... That, that's more ex- – well, I don't want to get into it. Okay, yeah, good point. Yes, but see, that's different. We will different. discuss. That's different. It is a tease. We are not going to give okay, the answers okay, yet. Okay. Can I just ask you a question about the one word Nickelback? Mm-hmm. Are we talking about like a Nickelback uh, – is, is, is that a Nickelback – is that an offense or a defense and is, is, or is it the band? The band. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. That will play a prominent role in today's show. Canada's Favorite Sons. Really? really? <laughs> Rush is offended. Getty Lee's like, what? Uh, okay so that's all by the way really good teases uh some of them are very cryptic Mm -hmm. but um, on purpose totally on purpose and and totally worth waiting for i i wish you both the best i hope um eventually you guys figure out what you're going to do i know what i'm doing uh, you keep saying that i don't know of course i know i don't you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> but again, you got 45 minutes after the show to figure it out. All right, Jeremy and Jason, good luck to you both. Go knock them dead. I know you got to go get uh, waxed on, waxed off. This just in. What? I got feedback for my uh, scavenger hunt that I sent my family on this morning. Really? The girls loved it. The, the, your, your children? Yes. What about the adult female? My ones? wife is a girl, too. Yeah, but is she, no, did she love it? Well, she said the girls loved it, but there was an exclamation point. Yeah. So Does that go for anything? I think you missed the mark Thanks on that for one. the treasure hunt, exclamation point. The girls loved it, exclamation point. Uh, she didn't mention anything about it, really, for her. Hmm. Anyway, um, congratulations. You nailed it. That's actually very, very good news. As you know, uh, we like to always do a homeless story. <laughs> no, we always like to do a hero story. This hero story involves a homeless man that helps save uh, a suffering uh, a person's a father suffering a heart attack. A Massachusetts family is trying to repay a homeless man who helped save a father um, who was suffering from a heart attack. George Dakin was walking on August seventh when he collapsed in front of Champ Homes. The organization provides transitional housing for the homeless. Austin Davis, who relied on Champ Homes. homes uh, witnessed Dakin fall and jumped into action. I thought he was gone, Davis said. Uh, Davis and two staff members performed CPR on Dakin until first responders arrived. Dakin had 100% blockage in his artery, a condition commonly called the widow maker. He says he flatlined for 28 minutes before he was revived. They shocked me four times, and I still flatlined, Dakin said. Two, just two weeks before Dakin collapsed, Davis and several others took a CPR class at the Champ House. Incredibly, this was the fourth time Davis had performed CPR on a person. Each time, by the way, saving a life. All I did was pump and pray, you know. I just hoped he'd make it. Uh, Dakin and his family has since uh, helped Davis find a job and raised enough money to help him buy a new car. So it's actually uh, being paid back to him in one way or another. Dakin says he considers August 7th as his new birthday. So how cool is that? Austin Davis is the hero of the day. A homeless man who was down and, and struggling, happened to be there at the right time, happened to have the training he needed, 
and saved a man's life, and now that man is helping to change his life around. That's how it works, my friends. You lift one, they lift you, and the world all benefits, and we could all be uh, more focused on helping those around us. Let's take that as a challenge. Hey, and today, let's also take it as a challenge to uh, show the love to the people that really mean the most to us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back again tomorrow. BYU Sports Nation is up next. Oh,